0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to We've Got Worm, a daily Planet Films podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss the hit web serial worm week by week, arc by arc. My name is Matt Freeman, your host and guy who sells glass vials full of maggots wholesale. Here's my co host, Scott Daly14. 14. Scott14, 14, how are you doing today? Fine.
1: As you said, this is the podcast where you, a worm expert, guide me, a first-time reader, through Wild Bill's world of superheroes, supervillains, and everything in between, as I inspect, interpret, and even speculate on what the story is and where it is going. This week, Matt, we are covering Arc 21. Imago? Im- is that? Did we decide that's how to pronounce <laughs> that's it? How, that's, how, that's how we're going to do it. We're we going with it. We have literally an entire week to prep that and dropped the ball
0: (laughs) just it seemed obvious that it was imago until this exact moment when i (laughs) when i realized it might not be
1: yeah so this is this is a big arc matt this is taylor's big decision the game-changing decision to turn herself in and, and every single event that leads up to that great moment um i don't know i think i still like arc 20 better than this overall um i think just the culmination at the end of arc 20 just worked for me so well although i i think there's plenty to like here um but uh, there's a real sense of of change now and it's exciting
0: yeah between arc 20 and arc 21 there's there's a, a very interesting shift in terms of taylor's character as the protagonist and and the the, the kinds of dis- decisions she's making the reasons she's making those decisions Um, the, the whole sort of context of the story, I even think that the writing is, is qualitatively different, um, in this section compared to others. Um, and I'll, I'll try to point out the areas that I'm talking about when we get to them. Um, but there's, there's a, there's a lot more, I think, I think that the writing is a lot more patient with some, with some very, um, subtle things, um, in this, in this particular arc.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're probably right. And and one of the things that I'm really looking forward to diving really into deeply is this decision Taylor makes and um I am looking forward to talking about how the decision in my opinion doesn't necessarily show a fundamental change in Taylor's character, but rather a continuation of things that we've already seen, but in just a different kind of way. And I think that's really interesting and really well done and i can't wait to, to dive into that
0: yeah i think that makes a lot of sense um i i want to i want to say more but i think yeah i should probably say that, we'll that we actually get to that yeah
1: that's called hooking them matt hooking right. the audience you don't yeah. even know what we're gonna say yeah. and now you have to wait
0: yeah you just know it's gonna be awesome yeah so in terms <laughs> of announcements this week um uh, our recording schedule continues to be irregular we're recording. This particular episode, a full week before you're hearing it. Um, so so just be aware of that. And, yeah. and consequently, uh, we won't be addressing any comments or questions because we haven't read them yet because they yeah, haven't been posted. Because
1: they don't exist yet because ARC-20 has not even been posted yet.
0: That's right. It's yeah. weird. It's weird. So we're just going to move right on into the beat by beat analysis of ARC-21.
1: Which is good because this is going to be a long one, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Yep. Just the way you guys like it. <laughs> All right, 21.1 uh, After the ambassadors leave the meeting at the art gallery The undersiders discuss strategy They move from analyzing the probable threat level of the ambassadors To discussing the risk of the protectorate going after the families of the other members All agree that the other members families aren't really at risk uh, each for a different reason
1: Yeah, and I really liked this opening Matt. I think it's a really solid way to to start everything off um, There was one point that I wanted to, to point out to you in particular um, that the arc itself opens on this quote, uh, Taylor stood at the very edge of the floor with a 25 story drop just in front of her. The wind whipped her hair around her and she didn't even have a, a handhold available. Shatterbird had cleared all of the window panes uh, long ago. A- as well as this being like really great character imagery from Lisa like we're re- reinforcing the fact that she's very risk prone and it's also kind of a great image to quickly define both the mood and the stakes of this uh, chapter and then this arc the undersiders themselves are standing on a ledge and they have no handholds left there's nothing to catch them if they fall nothing to protect them anything and everything that would have protected them is now gone even the protectorate even the rules of the cops and robbers agreement is gone and it's just them
0: yeah. I, I agree. I found this this opening quote to be very very striking. Um if anything it makes you a little bit worried about Tattletail specifically because yeah. we we know that these arc openings tend to set things up and I was thinking, oh, what's going t- <laughs> yeah. to happen to Tattletail? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. but it wasn't it wasn't quite as specific as that. It was more a, a in, investing you with a sense that things are precarious and it did that very well.
1: Yeah, and I think it 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 starts a trend of this arc as using uh, you talked about how the writing was a little different and i agree and and there's there's a lot of really strong imagery as metaphor in this arc Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of talking and and things being talked about that are that thing but also are referencing something else um and i think this is kind of a a little little preview of that if you will
0: yeah yeah there's there's a lot of conversations where um the the surface level thing that's being discussed is not the uh it's not the true thing that's being discussed i think that's true yeah so as far as Skitter goes, uh, she's going to, as we expected, double down on being Skitter. She's going to prioritize dealing with the heroes and the villains in the city and securing her territory. She's convinced that conflict with the other supervillains is inevitable and responding to the PRT's insult is a necessity.
1: Oh, good. I'm, I'm really glad that Taylor has learned a really valuable lesson from this whole thing and surely we'll, from now on will not act like a crazy person. Oh, Wait, no. It's it's literally the exact
0: opposite. Yeah, of that. it's it's actually specifically Skidder wants to go after the non-Cape PRT members who made the decision. She reasons that they can't possibly escalate further than this, so her escalation will be the final word in the argument, uh, which is not how large organizations usually respond to these things.
1: Yeah, you've never played uh, the uh, the Out Escalate the Government board game? It's a uh, it's Milton Bradley's fastest-selling game. And it usually ends when the FBI comes and sets the entire game board on fire. Um, (laughs) In in all seriousness, though, yes, uh, Taylor, this is setting the tone. Uh, Taylor is unhinged. She's mad. And she even says, I'm feeling aggressive, I think. I don't know. Hard to pin it all down. Um, It certainly feels like in this moment her passenger is feeding on that anger, feeding on that aggression to kind of push her towards this kind of behavior.
0: Yeah, and regardless of whether it's the passenger or not, I do like to track her mental state over the course of this arc because it definitely does evolve. Um, it, and, and and she she's not just she's not kind of in the same place the whole chapter long. She has a few different interactions that kind of move her further toward um, being at peace with the decision that she's making.
1: Yeah, and and I, I want to I guess like. We talk about the passengers and and how how much the passengers are having an influence on people's behavior and what they're doing. Um, that to me is an in world excuse for behavior. It's not necessarily like it. It doesn't change the themes. So it doesn't change what we're trying to do here. Like regardless of whether Taylor's acting this way solely because of her own personal thing. Or there's some influence by the passenger. This is still Taylor. This is still her behaving this way, and, and it's still important that we track that as part of her arc and her growth. So I don't. I, I, I'm hesitant to just say that we have to throw out all of this because the excuse is passenger, and and therefore nothing, none of her choices matter, and that's not true.
0: Yeah, I, I think that um, that a passenger. I, I don't know. This is probably overstating the case, but. I think at least when viewed as a metaphor, the passengers aren't going to make people do things that simple trauma couldn't make a person do. Like right. that's, that's one, that's how, that's how it's kind of constructed in the story. And two, that's how the metaphor is constructed, uh, because it really is a tool for examining trauma and, and on some level for examining mis- mental illness, I think. And we'll, we'll see an example yeah. of that later on.
1: And they're, they're really just along for the ride. A, uh, yeah. a passenger, if you will, <laughs>
0: I don't know about that. <laughs> All right, so Tattletail uh, casually outs Parian as gay in front of everybody for no reason. Uh, well, the reason is that she wants Parian to open up more and to trust them, but I'm not sure, like, how that accomplishes that. We also, like, we the readers didn't know that Parian was gay before this, uh, although we, we knew Fletchette was.
1: Yeah. Um. How do I say this as nicely as possible? Fuck Lisa in this moment? Like that's not that's really not a cool thing to do like i i have a little sister who's gay and and i love her very much and if someone had outed her publicly before she was ready to do it herself it would have been pretty devastating for her um i know lisa's like desperately trying to get parian on board here and 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 her reasoning behind this is is good but it's a wrong thing to do and i think it's just fortunate that parian seems to take it relatively well all things considered um but this is some some bullshit lisa
0: yeah, the only, the only sort of extenuating remark that I could make was is like, well, maybe Lisa knows that Parian isn't really, like, that th- doesn't really mind either way because of her power, but that's not stated obviously, so we can't assume yeah, that.
1: Yeah, and like, even even if you know, like, it's such an important thing when like for a person to declare that and be able to say it publicly the first time themselves, and to just rob someone of that is just yeah, really fucked up. Kind of steals
0: the part of their identity yeah Yeah. exactly yeah Yeah. i I feel you there yeah so uh there's this thing i pulled out here uh that's dangerous grew said you guys keep saying things along those lines i responded i shouldn't be so strict with our enemies i shouldn't ratchet up my involvement in things i shouldn't be aggressive it's more dangerous to leave them loose to always give our enemies the first move so i pulled this out because it's not that skitter is wrong about this uh this is Basically, how any powerful state conducts foreign policy, this is the kind of thing that presidents have to have to you know do and think all the time yeah the the key thing here is that now skidder our our sixteen year old girl character is not hesitating or flinching from the kinds of ruthless considerations that states and that heads of state have to make, so this is preparing us for some of the ruthless violence that we'll see from her later in the chapter,
1: yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I think. Part of why we're seeing that is because this is this rudderless Taylor. She has no direction right now. She's just mad and she's kind of lost herself and her focus and her reason to do things. And so she's in this moment, she's lost part of her identity and she's desperately grabbing onto something to, to steady herself. And, and she kind of decides that this thing she's going to grab onto is, is violence and the inevitability of it. And might as well take everyone out so we can rule in peace. Which is not a thing that works ever. (laughs) (laughs) If we violently kill everyone, there'll be no more violent killing. Right, guys? Right? Um, Yeah. It's like a backdraft. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, of course, like escalation has been a a constant theme throughout this. I think we've said that word on every single episode of this podcast so far. And we're seeing it again. We're seeing Taylor now push the the escalation, push to escalate the situations amongst the the various uh, gangs and groups of Brockton Bay.
0: Right, and on that note, Grew and Tattletail, uh, for once, sort of stand up to her, and they point out that this course will result in a lot more conflict and violence. But Skitter pushes back again, reiterating that that's necessary. It's a necessary phase to get through in order to solidify their reputation and their hold. And then Grew points out on top of this that this plan does indeed constitute a departure from Skitter's pattern. Before, she was the leader because she had to be because not stepping up would have led to worse outcomes but now she's being aggressive not defensive and he thinks maybe breaking this pattern might lead to a deviation from their track record of being a successful team
1: yeah and and we've talked about this before right we've talked about how the undersiders succeeded as a group because they were so good at this kind of hit and run thing where they would um go where they need to be attack fight and then they're able to escape when the situation turns against their favor um this is very different the the type of thing that taylor's wanted to do here is is not using the team strengths seemingly um it seems to be more of like an open type war thing which is an ironic word to use because that's what gets said against her later um Mm -hmm. but and that pisses her off so much but yeah it is it is a departure from how the undersiders operate as a team and and we said that was why they were so successful so long ago and and We're kind of seeing Taylor wanting to change that. And I'm I'm with Brian here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but but of course, as usual, Skitter doesn't listen to a damn word uh, for many of her teammates. And in response to their urges to be more careful, she she orders a three front war started on the teeth, the PRT and the Fallen.
1: Yeah, because, you know, adding more fronts to your combat worked so well in history, right? Yeah, good job. Hitler, that worked really well for you. Oh my God, I just compared Taylor to Hitler. People are going to be so mad. Um, uh. <laughs> the interesting dynamic to me here is that everyone falls in line with this plan. Um, we, we have talked about the team as as Taylor's first grasp of friends in the Cape world. We've talked about them as an escape for Taylor, but I don't think we've ever talked about the Undersiders as enablers for Taylor's behavior before. Um, I think we've implied it, but I don't know if we've come right out and said it before because because here taylor is acting crazy she's she's shifting that focus of the team she's clearly furious at the world and making stupid rash decisions because of it rachel backs her up because rachel's her best friend alec and aisha don't really care uh lisa because of her trauma is terrified of pushing back too much because she thinks that that could cause her to lose taylor which is connected to that trauma and brian the one that uh, usually is the rational light on the team is so traumatized that he's lost all confidence and trust in his own decision making. So he falls in line too. Um, what Taylor needs right now is is people to set her down and calm her down and talk through things with her. Instead, she gets a team that says, I think this is a bad idea, but you generally seem to know what you're talking about. So, okay.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I, I would I, I think we've come close to accusing Lisa of being an enabler before, but, but now you're right They're They're all sort of doing it. If only, if only just due to their willingness to be passive. Yeah. Um, even, even the character like, like Alec, he's just like, well, you know, it's, it's served us well to listen to Skitter in the past. So, so whatever. Um, yep. Yeah. So we smash cut from this conversation to Skitter and Rachel attacking the PRT van with Skidder undertaking an aerial aerial duel with Dovetail.
1: Oh, you mean my favorite cape forever now? Because <laughs> Dovetail has miniaturized containment foam sprayers as part of her costume. Hey, Matt. Yeah? Why, why doesn't everyone have these things?
0: They're probably really hard to make, Scott. I mean, maybe. But, I mean... They'd probably rely on Tinker Tech. that's really hard to upkeep or something.
1: I just feel like everyone should have these things immediately. Not that they work for Dovetail, but that's because she's bad. But if everyone (laughs) had the... It's
0: because her power is bad. Yeah.
1: yeah. Which, I mean, Skitter legitimately says it's like her power is really sucky, but it's still giving me a little bit of a run for my money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Never mind. I dealt with it.
1: Anyway, everyone should have these miniaturized containment foam sprayers. Please. I am on team foam. Hashtag team foam for life.
0: I think when Wildbow rewrites this part, he's probably going to have Dovetail accidentally foam spray her own legs together (laughs) or something.
1: Just to prove a point.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Totally. So, Adamant is defeated by Rachel's pack, and Skidder also remotely deals with seer in triumph, poor triumph. I'm just imagining like, oh
1: God, not again, I know um, I know I'm wondering like it almost seems like a beat that's too tempting to ignore, but we kind <laughs> yeah. of we kind of do like we don't we don't actually see triumph suffer we just he's there and he loses
0: yeah right he's he's taken out before he can really become a threat, even yeah. So, yeah, and speaking of which, we rarely get to see Skidder straight up ambush a target, and it strikes me that she's much stronger when she has time to to prepare an attack like this than when she's on defense. The heroes are practically incapacitated from the moment they know an attack is happening.
1: Yeah, and that's a really good point, because we just spent a minute or two talking about how the Undersiders historically have been the defense team or the hit-and-run team. Um, They are not the offensive threat team, and I think that's because their powers are not really susceptible to that but but that's the undersiders as a group taylor specifically her powers are super good at that um the fact that she can line everything up and then just attack all at once and control these things all at once and do this stuff all at once and be everywhere all at once is super powerful on offense so it's almost like her power is encouraging her into this state
0: yeah it is almost like that (laughs) So, yeah, Skidder enters the PRT building on foot and accosts Director Tag in his office. His wife is there with him. It's a candid discussion. She tells him that this attack is about a show of force, about embarrassing the PRT, trashing their stuff, roughing them up, and calling in the news crews. She takes off her mask, which is a great touch. This was as mild as I could go, I said. I think you know that. I'm not looking to one-up you or perpetuate a feud. I'm doing what I have to, part of the Game? Game? Little girl, this is a war. His voice took on a hard edge.
1: Yeah, uh, Matt, looking to one up the PRT is literally the point of this thing. Like, that's literally what she's doing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like she's, I mean,
1: she says that really specifically earlier in the chapter.
0: Yeah, yeah. She's, uh, it, it's really interesting because she's consistently all over the place throughout this arc. Um, and it's fascinating to watch because. She's a completely believable character, even while like contradicting herself every other sentence because of where her head is at.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, the great thing about Taylor is that you always see the logic behind it because she always has to have that logic before she makes that choice. So you always get to see her rationale and it makes sense to her. And because you're in her head, you it kind of makes sense to you. But if you stare at it for any longer, you're kind of be like, wait, wait a minute. That doesn't yeah. make any sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the cognitive dissonance is more apparent in this arc specifically than it usually yeah. is because she'll contradict herself like paragraph by paragraph. Oh, yeah. 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 So Tag thinks that even though the undersiders are strong now, they won't last years, but the PRT will.
1: Yeah. And we've talked about this long term nature of the undersiders and their plan and how I really never thought that Taylor's plan had a long term to it. It was just too tenuous too reliant on the situation as it currently was and and it's just not sustainable and and i really i kind of agree here that i think they will lose eventually whereas the prt or the government um it's really hard to make them lose it's really hard to make them give up they might have to retreat and lick their wounds but they can always come back with more whereas the undersiders you lose one of them and they lose their effectiveness
0: yeah, right and and especially when you're dealing with a guy like tag who says stuff like yeah No, they didn't pick me to, to head this city's prt division Because i'm a winner miss taylor. They picked me because i'm a scrapper. I'm a survivor I'm, the type that's content to get the shit kicked out of me. So long as I give the other guy a bloody nose Oh scott, we got survivor versus survivor dawn of escalation
1: <laughs> Exactly, and, and I think I think it's really easy to hate tag um, he's, he's kind of a jerk, but I think he's very much in the same kind of vein of a jerk that Taylor is, uh, cause his organization has been embarrassed and they're angry and they're willing to stop at nothing to win because when you think you're saving the world from an evil force, there's almost nothing you'd be willing to do. You wouldn't be willing to do to win, right? Mm-hmm. Wait, which one of them was I talking about? I'm confused. <laughs> exactly was it taylor or was it tack
0: i think it was yes i think the answer to that is yes (laughs) she asks if he feels bad about the idea of hurting a daughter through her father which is something he threatens and he says no because she's a thug which is a lot like another word that uh, we and that taylor use a lot is it uh is it bully is that the word matt that is Is the word that i was imagining yes
1: (laughs) yeah and this i mean this goes like taylor's whole idea whole philosophy on crime is that uh, the crime is okay the the thuggish nature is okay when it's has a justification of course the only person that can really make that justification is taylor herself
0: yep yep so skitter then menaces mrs tag with her swarm <laughs> but then calls it off and attacks tag with it and okay. as she leaves she leaves all her bugs behind to infest the building and she thinks maybe the little demonstration i'd done with tag's wife hadn't been for him it could just as easily have been me trying to prove something to myself
1: hey, Taylor, no shit. I'm glad I'm glad you're aware of that.
0: Yeah. Don't worry. She'll probably uh, forget about that immediately.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. And yeah. we're, we're finishing this chapter up. We're about to go into a chapter in which I'm going to slam my head on the desk about 500 times. Yes.
0: Yes. Because here we see more of that contradiction. 21.2. We open up the first image we get is Atlas is wearing out.
1: Yeah. And it, that's such an amazing image. And and I, title tale even comments on how great of a metaphor that is yeah uh that he's tired from carrying taylor who herself is attempting to lift up the entire world like part of me almost wished that the text didn't like stop to specifically point that metaphor out to us like i don't know like i think i think there are times when maybe we need to to trust that the audience like gets it a little bit more yeah wait uh, sorry go ahead
0: i i feel like i feel like uh it it works here because it's it's actually lisa pointing out something that taylor probably did do on purpose and taylor's annoyed with it and is like no that's not it <laughs> basically
1: yeah and also sorry i just uh i was a little distracted i just got um another email from someone about how taylor is perfect and has never done anything wrong at all and is the most moral character in the book so Never mind. Maybe we shouldn't be subtle. Just, just <laughs> these. keep doing you wild though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If anything, we need more explicit statements of, of, uh, what is wrong and what is right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so Taylor responds to, to Tattletail's attempt to talk to her with, uh, my issues aren't the, aren't ones that can be fixed with words. I said, unless you have any insight to offer about tag, a way to make this world suddenly make sense. Or a way to make people stop being such assholes, such morons, that I'm not sure I want to hear it. I don't need to change; the world needs to change. <laughs> is the, yep. the last the last one was me, not Taylor, but it could just it as well have been. Yeah. It
1: could have been. It could have been. Yeah, this is this is probably one of the most frustrating conversations to witness. Um, not not in an, like a, a writing way or or um, I, I enjoyed the hell out of this Lisa Taylor fight quote unquote it is kind Um, of
0: a fight it's the closest they get to fighting actually
1: yeah yeah um but uh, so so i it's just in in, it's just so frustrating because like it's so easy to poke holes in taylor's logic here like it's so easy um so we're gonna do that
0: yeah right (laughs) they probably look at you and wonder why you can't fall in line with their perception of the way things should go tattletale says i shook my head it's not like that oh okay it's not like that scott
1: What? (laughs) It's literally exactly like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So she's frustrated that the PRT, um, the people like Tag, are so invested in maintaining appearances that they would attack a school and break the Cape rules, despite the fact that the undersiders frequently do stuff worse than that. And she's frustrated that they can't just cooperate, compromise, and focus on keeping people safe, despite the fact that Skidder never compromises with anybody.
1: Yeah, so... Here's the thing, Taylor, you're being stupid. <laughs> you're acting like a crazy person. And my favorite part about all this thing is one of the things that Taylor is most mad at the PRT as a whole about is their willingness to let gang operations go unpunished in, in, you know, pre story Brockton Bay. Um there's like, she, she talks about that they didn't act on this kind of scale when the ABB was robbing people or, or assaulting people. Um, and it's like she can't tell the difference between street level crime and someone literally like declaring themselves warlord of the city. Like those are those are different things. This is not the same thing.
0: Not not only that, but basically, I I don't think I think like the street level crime will still be happening on some level via her like the other teams that she's working with. Yeah,
1: so. exactly. Because did she not just work out a deal with Accord that? Allowed the existence of a certain crimes as long as she approved them, as long as she was okay with them. Didn't she sanction murder as long as she got pre-approval from herself on it? Like as long yeah. as it came to her first. Like, isn't that the fucking exact same <laughs> thing that just happened?
0: Yeah. Um. I mean, like one, one, one kind of equivalence that you can draw is she always gives them a really hard time specifically for uh, letting Shadow Stalker continue to serve, despite knowing that she was a bad person. Right. And it's like, okay, like, aren't you constantly, like, kind of struggling with the idea of letting Regent do his thing, but then ultimately letting him do it anyway?
1: Yeah, and you're working with a cord who is a known psychopath who kills people for interrupting meetings? Yeah. Like, it's this false equivalency. It's like, or or the lack of equivalency, I guess, the lack of being able to see it is absurd. It's absurd. And, like, we're doing such a great job of painting Taylor as Unhinged. Because you're absolutely right, like she is contradicting herself she is less logical than we have ever seen her it has never been this easy to pick holes in Taylor's arguments before because she's just kind of lost right now and she's mad and she doesn't see it
0: yeah and I think that this is a like this is we're being hard on her but it it's this is the perfect time to be hard on her because this is a this is an important moment for her because what happens here is that in like while Tattletail is actually giving her some of these retorts that Scott and I are are saying like the is actually for the you know almost the first time pushing back and saying like hey um yeah. you're not quite being consistent there um taylor responds to this by leaving rudely like mid conversation and borrowing one of Rachel's dogs um which which of course Rachel is happy to give her um proving that taylor prefers people trusting her sight unseen and giving her things Uh, rather than being called out on her bullshit
1: yeah yeah because for for, for one of the first times we're seeing lisa trying not to enable her we're seeing lisa actually push back and yeah she can't take it she refuses to take it and she just leaves and you kind of feel bad for lisa in this moment right because this is like lisa's worst fear that um that she loses a person because she can't help them and so, like, you kind of get the feeling that she's been afraid to be this honest with her this whole time. And she finally works up the courage to do it because maybe uh, uh, Taylor's acting a little more irrationally than she normally does. So she feels like she has to. And, and her response is for her to just leave her.
0: Yeah. I, um, I think Lisa's right to worry about this because this is yeah. basically what Taylor did when her dad kind of challenged her, too. She's just like, yeah, yep. leaving the house forever now yeah and and
1: and taylor knows this about lisa now she knows what lisa's trauma is and she still leaves anyway it's like she Mm -hmm. doesn't care in this moment about her friend
0: yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty cold so yeah skitter leaves this this interaction and takes the pupper radley for a long ride across brockton bay as she rides she thinks about who she should go see not dinah she already knows what dinah has to tell her not her dad she thinks it would just be a reminder that she abandoned him She doesn't have any hobbies or anything else to do, which is a fact that we talk about for quite a while, actually. One problem that addicts tend to have is that all their hobbies and pastimes are also related to their addiction, so they don't really know what to do with themselves when they're not indulging in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And and if being Skitter is her addiction, then every interaction she has is either part of that addiction or a a bridge that has been specifically burned as a result of it, which is her father. Like, Mm -hmm. she her addiction to being this person has cost her her father. And and that is literally a sign
0: of addiction. You're right. Yep. She does want to see Brian, but she doesn't really want to talk to him about any of this stuff.
1: And she, just wants to, <clears throat> she just wants to bang.
0: Yep. She just wants to bang. Yeah, I think you're right somehow. <laughs> what we do, what she what she does want to do, what she itches to do actually is to go fight the teeth or the fallen, but she isn't like physically up to it right now.
1: Hey, hey Matt, did you ever see that um that Jennifer Lawrence movie called uh what was it called? Um I think it was Passengers, I think. Mm. Yeah, for yeah. some reason it's just occurred to me, you know, in the middle of this podcast randomly. Huh.
0: That that's odd. Yeah, I guess I yeah. can see the connection. So she uh she finds that she's ridden Radley to the cemetery. So she goes she enters and she sits at a grave and she talks to her mom. She tries to explain everything that's happened, what she was trying to do, the bad things that she's done, the good things that she's done, the people she's saved, the people she's let die, the people she's killed, what she's had to become.
1: Yeah, and I, I love that this ties into that second def- definition of Imago that we talked about last week, that that uh, that um, perfect representation of a parental figure that uh, kind of guides you or shapes your conscience in, in a certain moment. Here it is. Yep. It's her mom.
0: It's exactly what this is. She's basically reflecting her current troubled state off of this idealized parental figure. Yep. So it finally comes around to Dinah's notes, and Taylor says she understands the rationale. She shows them. She shows them to the tombstone. The first one says, cut ties. The second one, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, this <laughs> this hits uh, pretty hard. Yeah. Um I, I really like the line where she says if there's one thing you don't want um, a, a, a precog telling you, it's those four and a half words or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's such a really great moment. And and I love that, like this theory that, that she almost immediately comes to that I kind of agree with it, that that Dinah wanted her to leave her current life behind. She didn't listen. And then Dinah was kind of forced to act and forced to move. So the first one is this is what you do. When you don't do it, second one is I'm sorry for having to do what I did, and and that makes me think. Part of me wonders if you know Taylor's sitting on that roof at the end of arc nineteen, trying to decide, am I going to leave the undersiders? Am I going to quit? Am I going to listen to this note? Am I going to cut ties? And and maybe on some level Lisa knew that, and it's her coming to her in that moment, her her telling her 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 trigger event and her the source of her trauma and why she's been acting the way she did that kind of pulls taylor back in um that that makes up her mind te- at least temporarily and that's a really negative way of looking at lisa's interaction but uh, everyone th- says i'm constantly untrusting of her so <laughs> so i guess that fits me
0: yeah I, I definitely see aspects of that i definitely agree with aspects of that like like specifically the point at the at the end of that conversation when Taylor crumples the notes in her fists. I, I view that as her rejecting yeah. the the notes in that in that moment. And then shortly after that, Dinah basically has to make the second play and and force her hand basically.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I like I like the the detail that the notes have been crumpled not just that time but multiple times. She's crumpled yeah. them and and smoothed them out multiple times. This is a thing that Taylor has been kind of silently struggling with since that day and. It's something that that you can tell she's trying not to even think about because we're in her head and she doesn't think about it. So, yeah. um, it's it's this is a really rough kind of moment.
0: Yeah. Well, I would say this is one of the main things that's been troubling her, and this is why she's been so erratic and and angry. And yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's not just it's not just about outing her. It's about you're outed, and now you have to basically say goodbye to all your friends. It's it's like a insult to injury. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so she she's kind of explaining what she thinks must be going on here. Taylor thinks that she must have some bigger role to play in what comes next, and that Dinah is trying to protect or support her by giving her these instructions. She thinks she's going to have to be heartless.
1: Oh, what a great moment, Matt. <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna spend the rest of the arc basically reeling from this moment and and talking about how well Wildbow masks Taylor's intent here, all the plans that she's making. He he kind of masks all this pretty expertly. But here in this moment, we have Taylor sitting at this grave for her mother, confessing her sin, saying how lost she is, saying how bad everything she did was, and how all those bad things were in the service of making up for that last bad thing she does and how horrible of a cycle that is. It's this seemingly moment of realization. And then she says, I have to be heartless. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, you immediately you're like, oh, my God, she's she's doubling down she's gonna go crazy and just fucking murder everyone and you're like no taylor that's not the right lesson from this what are you doing and it's perfect like it's it's such a shocking moment and it's a shocking moment in an arc that's already filled with shocking moments so it it just sets sets the tone for the rest of this thing
0: yeah i think people who are rereading especially may not appreciate like the fact that at this particular moment you really are concerned that she's just completely going off the deep end, um, like, and and that she may be about to go on a killing spree because yeah, you know, and she she does do some pretty violent stuff pretty quick here
1: yeah because the re- the reveal is that being heartless is being heartless to her friends to right. the people she cares about but you know your first grasp of that is I don't I don't think that's the first thing you're gonna think no. of I think the first thing you're gonna think of is that. The things that she was, the the, the the conscience that she had that was holding her back from just being this ruthless force of artery ripping open Taylor, it, it's seemingly saying that she's like, okay, that's what I have to do. Yeah. And you're just like, shit.
0: Right. Yeah. I guess I have to be a monster. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a great, it's a great misdirect and it, it works in the moment Um, and, and it works when kind of the other shoe drops later on. So I, I love it too. Yeah. So the groundskeeper stops by and gently offers her some tea and then brings her some paper to write on. She writes 12 pages front and back a letter to her dad.
1: I really like the moment with the groundskeeper, Matt. I, I really do. There's there's a simpleness, a, a, a humanness to their interaction that I just adore. Because um, te- Taylor is... It's nighttime. The cemetery is closed. Taylor has broken into the cemetery. She probably shouldn't be there. Uh, but she's not there to cause trouble and and this kind old groundskeeper lets her be. He he doesn't bother her. Um, not only that, he assists her. He offers her tea and the paper for the note. I I think there's something to this, Matt. There this is this is Taylor not on the offensive. This is Taylor not escalating. She's just visiting and in this case the authority figure of the cemetery is the groundskeeper and and he he leaves her alone he's kind to her
0: yeah right and i like that he's actively kind to her because it would be very easy for him to just sort of allow her to be there and and then you would just interpret this as well he probably just recognizes who she is and right. knows that there's no point in trying to force her to leave but he he goes out of his way to to show her a kindness and that's that's critical i think
1: yeah absolutely
0: so yeah, as she leaves, she thinks, thanks for hearing me out, I said, acutely aware that she wasn't there, that she wasn't listening. And there at the end of the chapter, we understand that Taylor is really just trying to explain everything to herself.
1: Yeah. And so we leave this chapter with a Taylor that's no longer rudderless, who that has found her new Dinah, her new purpose. Um, And I think that the most interesting part of this, and, and it's, it's how Wild Bo messes with expectations a little bit and how he kind of masks the end of this arc. The The new purpose that Taylor has taken upon herself it doesn't, like, shift from her desire to be aggressive and violent and on the offensive. It doesn't completely change that. It just refocuses it and gives it an end goal. Um, she didn't exactly change course here. She just has a... a an actual destination in mind now and i think that's really important
0: yeah i agree so yeah and speaking of which we begin to see what she's doing fairly quickly we enter 21.3 and skidder is visiting regent's lair which is shaping up to be quite a lair
1: yeah i feel like he's taking the the regent thing just a a bit too literally
0: yeah my favorite (laughs) part is the contractors who were like you just you imagine like shaking their head as they build this Completely stereotypical supervillain lair. Yeah. <laughs> so Imp and Regent and Skidder head to take out the fallen. Skidder tries to impart some Sun Tzu battlefield wisdom on the couple of little rascals.
1: Yeah, and we've joked about Taylor being the mom of the group for a while now. I think Imp and Regent have specifically joked about that too, uh-huh. but this is it at its most literal. And I think it's kind of amazing that we've gone from Taylor as this girl in her, over her head who was never kind of sure if she was making the right call um, to now she's of the opinion that she's the only one that can put these two kids who are not that much younger than her on the right path. And I think that shows how much Taylor has changed.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, for a change, Skidder wants to see Regent grow in power. She contemplates what a strong grown-up Alec in the fullness of his power would be like with a crowd of strong capes in his thrall. She asks him if he really wants to follow in his dad's footsteps. And I think here his reaction is very interesting and surprising. He says, you're a little bit of an asshole, aren't you? And this is where it starts to become clear what she's after with him. She thinks he should use his power to take people over and then let them go with the understanding that they can never come back rather than build an army like Heartbreaker did
1: yeah yeah his response here you're right it's really great that that you're a little bit of an asshole i like alec is a traumatized individual and he hides it well and part of that that hiding is just his natural like reduced ability to express the emotions that he's feeling or his his want to cover them or hide them or his subconscious want but but he is suffering from trauma. His father really did fuck him up. And I think on some level, Alec does hate his father, but he doesn't know how to feel that. And like you, you see it in this moment that, that that as much as you can piss Alec off, that pissed him off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with that interpretation completely.
1: And so I I want to talk to you about this plan of, of hers, Matt, Um, Mm -hmm. because I'm sure this is better than him just literally being his father, like literally keeping an army of willing slaves. But this still isn't great. Um, like this Taylor has this perception and we see it again, and again throughout this, that if that there's like this hump that we can just get over, if we just get over this hump, if we just scare people enough to where they'll leave us alone, we won't have to do any more bad stuff. They'll just know that we're scary and leave us alone. And that's just not accurate like the idea that he would just take control of these people and never actually have to use them is like a pipe dream it's not realistic and it seems to me that like she thinks she's steering region in a certain direction that she feels is a good direction but
0: i don't think it is yeah it's really interesting because this is her i'm not, I'm not sure if she's contradicting herself or not really because it's like she's trying to steer him in a direction that's like more moral i suppose but I do kind of feel like Alex surrounded by 15 really strong capes would be, I guess he can't control that many people, but you know what I mean? Like with with a small army unto himself, I feel like that would definitely be scarier than, um, I I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the text is asking us to, um, disagree with Taylor or, or not actually.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm really not sure either because certainly, certainly, Like morally him having these people as just constant slaves is not a good thing. Um, Certainly him just controlling them temporarily and then using that as a way to control them without controlling them later, keeping them away is a better thing. Um, But I don't think it's good on its own um it's it's kind of her kind of steering into the skit a little bit like you know region's going to use his power i'm not gonna be able to stop him to use his power let's see if we can control it to use it in a certain way that i feel is at least more moral than the other possible ways
0: yeah and i i mean i think she gets her point across with that comment about heartbreaker though because you kind of see it affect him yeah oh yeah yeah yeah. And, and then so after kind of considering Alec in this way, she then entertains the idea of an older and more experienced imp, an assassin, maybe a ruthless and terrifying killer, especially if if Tattletale erases all records of her existence, which is hilarious. <laughs>
1: Taylor's like the worst fucking mother ever. <laughs> we just want the best for you, Aisha. We just want you to be like super good at murdering people and to have no identity and no trace it's what we all parents want for their children.
0: Yeah. She'll be so so strong.
1: So good at her job. Yeah. You're slicing people's throats open.
0: Yeah, it's very fulfilling.
1: <laughs> Can't wait till she graduates from Assassin
0: Academy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's clear by this point that Taylor's trying to communicate something to Regent and Imp, Regent especially. She needs him to internalize the importance of creating and protecting his reputation and not just hanging back and waiting for openings and generally being lazy like he usually does.
1: Yeah, and this was when I figured out what Taylor was doing, and I guessed, and I, I guessed right, but I, when I realized that her plan here was to leave the Undersiders, uh, that she's she's preparing for this existence without her. She's trying to steer these people in the direction that she feels that they'd both be the most successful. Um, it is fair to say that that Wild Bo is trying to present a... She's going to go up against the good guys and might die. So she just wants to make sure if she does die that people are going to be okay. But but between these and that cut ties note, I was pretty sure at this point that she was ditching the Undersiders. Uh, where she was going to go, I did not predict. But um, I think... I I don't think it ruined the arc for me, though, guessing this right. I think it allowed the scenes to have more... like probably equal emotional resonance for me because i still knew that they were goodbyes regardless
0: yeah i think i think the cut ties and and the way she's behaving is enough to clue you in that 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 it's uh that these are goodbyes but but it's certainly none of this none of this leads you to concluding what she's actually going to do at the end of the chapter yeah no
1: none of this none of this made me prepared for the words i surrender that's for damn sure
0: yeah right so as they're walking skidder finds the haven capes nearby in combat stance they're fighting Eligos. Uh, rosary is using her interesting form of telekinesis to drop things on him skidder tells her group that they will need to win decisively it has to be apparent that the undersiders won the fight they split up the opponents between themselves and they attack skidder takes on Eligos and rosary with her large swarm She harasses, but doesn't really harm, Rosary and Halo, and uses Atlas as a counterweight to haul Elagos up into the air and drop him from three stories, probably breaking his arms and legs.
1: I feel like you're using the term probably (laughs) very, very loosely. His arms and legs are definitely broken.
0: (laughs) Maybe not all of them. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so she she then orders Rosary to kneel, um, and the woman does. In typical hard-ass neo-skitter fashion, she convinces the woman that if she hadn't knelt, they would have used Regent to take her over, if only to keep her out of the city.
1: Yeah, and I think in the past, we've kind of been unsure in the moment if Taylor was going to really follow through on something like that, or she was just using it as, as part of her like rule through fear image thing. Um, but in this moment, I kind of believe that that Taylor absolutely would have ordered Regent to do that.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure if she if they actually could have, um, based on what her power is, but uh yeah, I mean I think I think she's, yeah, I think I that's know. where her head is, yeah. So suddenly Skidder notices Imp nearby and realizes that, that uh Valifor, that's how I'm gonna continue to say it, uh Valafor got her with his power. The other stranger Cape can basically instantly hypnotize people with eye contact. Skidder and Regent run into the grocery store where she senses them, and Valafor orders everyone present, including Imp, to try to kill the two undersiders.
1: Yeah, so my basic thought process here was, hey, that doesn't seem like it would be that powerful of a, oh, holy shit, it's Kilgrey from Jessica Jones.
0: <laughs> I'm not familiar with that, but but he, yeah, it seems like a terrifying power.
1: Yeah, he basically, if he orders someone to do something, they have to do it, and they will keep trying to do it until they succeed. Okay. Yep. So it's it's a little twist on that, but it's very similar, and it's okay. horrifying and terrible, and Jesus.
0: Yeah. So Imp charges for them, but at the, at the last second, she turns and attacks and disables Valfour instead. So my interpretation, which you kind of have to like re- reread again to kind of piece together exactly, is that at the last second, Regent asserted his control and drove her to do this, overriding Valfour's ability to command her.
1: Yeah, I think your, your reading is, is correct there. And of course, this drops the knowledge on us that Imp has willingly let Regent possess her just to see what it would be like. And we get this weird back and forth where, like, um, anytime she uses her power, it would cause his control over her to break. So she's never really fully in his control. And there's this this one-upsmanship going on between the two of them that obviously is blossoming into something a little bit more, something a little romantic. And that really concerns Taylor. We see how kind of scared that makes her in this moment. And she kind of says, I have to talk to Gru about this because this might not be good. These two together kind of feed off of each other and, and might make each of them worse.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. So they all discuss what to do with Valifor. Skidder almost seems to want to capture him so that Regent can take him over. But Regent figures it's too much of a hassle with Valifor's power being what it is. So Skidder says, okay, fine. Then we'll strip him of his power. And she creepily takes out a vial. And, uh, at this point, I'm sure we're all horrified of what that could be.
1: Yeah. Uh, this this next part is probably one of the most shocking things I've seen in the book so far. I mean, I think there's been really gruesome and disgusting things we've seen, uh but but this coming from Taylor especially, um and how casual she is about it is really disturbing.
0: Mhm. Totally.
1: And 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 what's more is like we 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 see that Taylor's testing Regent in this moment that, um, that, that she's trying to, to, um, see what he's going to be do. We talked about how he could be his father or, or it could be someone else. And, and she seems to think that this option is like the preferred one that, um, cause, cause she says like, cause you were talking about how Regent take control of him. And she seems to think that would be preferred. And now, because you said, no, I have to do this terrible. I thing, but, remember like remember when the idea of using regent's power like terrified her beyond belief like she was so pissed off when she found out that they used his power without telling her
0: like yeah
1: that's it's like that wasn't that long ago
0: right yeah and uh, yeah it's 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 a fascinating little little look into her mind right here the the things she's willing to consider it's like if we have we have the bad option then we have the worse option which one do you want to go with regent yeah, um, and and what's what's great about this, and this is a continuing beat of characterization, where you're almost playing the character development of Regent off of the character development of of Skitter, because cause Taylor shows him what she's what she has in her hand, and his response is, "Seriously, Regent asked, seriously, if you're up for it." Regent trailed off. <laughs> so. You know, Taylor is the one who thinks of Regent as like a scary and, and unpredictable uh uh you know, psychopath, basically. And Regent is is completely creeped out by her here. Yeah, I, I think it. as
1: as a general rule, when you're doing a thing that's disturbing Alec, you're probably not doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that you pulled out those lines again, but I particularly like the one that she used to end the conversation where she says no mercy for those who don't deserve mercy. And of course, Taylor is the judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to making decisions on who does and doesn't deserve mercy. So uh, so here we go. We're we're doing this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Skidder drives her bugs to hold Valfour's eyes open, cuts a hole in his eyeball, and stuffs the vitreous space with maggots. And then uh, to punctuate this, says... Fear, I said. Remember what Bakara said? You have to be unpredictable, but you can balance it with certainties, realities. It's a little fucked up that you're taking cues from the psycho bomb girl, <laughs> Regent commented. Yeah, I said. I wasn't about to deny it. But I'd prefer more certainties than unpredict- unpredictable elements. The punishment fits the misdeed. So again, same, same note here. I like that Regent is the one to point this out because I feel that Regent has been taking cues from other people the same way taylor's been taking cues from other people except the people that regent's been taking cues from include well skitter among others he's trying to be less of the monster that he came from and uh (laughs) skitter's trying to be more of a monster i guess
1: yep you're absolutely right and (laughs) it, it like we've seen so many beats where she's compared herself to bakada where she's compared herself to jack slas where she's gone back to these horrible horrible monstrous human beings as a a path for how to behave going forward and i love that it's regent that calls her out on it here
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah um so yeah um a few things here in general this is the second person who skitter is blinded the first person she felt like it was a big enough deal that she did that, that she had to keep mentioning it several times in her litany of bad things that she's done. And now she's done it again on purpose. And this time she's not doing it to a regenerator who she knows is going to be fine. Eventually she's not even certain that the damage is going to be repairable.
1: Yeah. So this is why I love this section, Matt. And it's another reason why I love this book because last chapter we had that moment where in any other story, Taylor would have realized the error in her ways and started to reform and there would be this fundamental character change. And after all that imago of her mother, uh, w- who seemingly was there to represent Taylor's conscience. Um, but worm isn't another book. And instead of reforming here, Taylor's imago has just given her aggressiveness and in focus to that aggressiveness. And, and it's true that at the end of this arc, we're going to see that game-changing shift in Taylor. But at this moment, we're showing how much she hasn't changed. Um, we're seeing, you know, that she's doubling down. And and you're absolutely right that this is an escalation from that previous eye gouge. Like, the reason she did it to Long was because it was the only way that she could ensure that he was taken care of here. Um, they have, a, like, a hero quote-unquote from that's fighting them just outside this building um his powers work with his eyes how about you just like blindfold him right (laughs) like it's not necessary here it's so not necessary and it's possibly permanent and she doesn't care she doesn't care and again like the fact that we had that almost come to jesus moment followed by this it shows that Taylor's changed a little bit, but parts of her haven't, and I think that's so important that we do that—that that we haven't seen Taylor suddenly become a new person. Now, um, she's gonna keep acting the way she does, and she's gonna keep justifying things the way she does and has done throughout this book.
0: Yeah, and this isn't even the worst thing that she does to a person in this in this arc, but uh, we'll yeah, see that in that a couple couple true. chapters. Yeah, so the undersiders leave, and Skitter reemphasizes to the two younger ones the importance of ruling through fear (laughs) Uh. (laughs) (laughs) which which i think makes a funny contrast because 21.4 opens up with her wearing like a a nice pretty dress and a sun hat and and walking around in public looking like she's shopping so it's i don't know if that's intentional or not but it's it's a funny juxtaposition where she's being as terrifying as possible and then she's walking around looking like a tourist yeah the next scene
1: Were you able to process this in your head at all? Like, was your mind's (laughs) eye able to see Taylor in sundress and a sun hat? Like, because I I literally could not, I couldn't make that image work.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I I agree that it was difficult to do so. It's also, so I I like to, like, imagine, like, she she has bugs all throughout her hair, in her bags, under her clothes. And I like to imagine that, like, she thinks that no one notices this, but, but everyone actually does. I'm pretty sure that's not actually true, but I just like to imagine that she's walking through (laughs) town and there's just like roaches crawling all over her shoulders and everyone sees it and she doesn't notice. Yeah, that would be amazing.
1: Also gross, really gross.
0: So as she walks, she reflects on how prominence is making her a bit paranoid because even like a minor gust of wind could be the precursor to a parahuman attack. Oh boy. At her destination, she finds Gru and Citrine waiting. She finds that she's not jealous that the two were alone together and that bothers her
1: nothing that a quick bang session won't fix right matt matt
0: (laughs) Matt? and we uh we learned that uh tattletale is out of commission now with the power overuse migraine so they go upstairs and view the tower containing the portal prompting skidder to muse about its role in the city
1: yeah and i want to talk about the portal and and the uh Symbolic nature of it and how it works into the story, but I want to save that for later. So right now uh, I just want to say that we're seeing a lot of skitter future thinking and at this point. We're not we're not Positive about what we're supposed to be making of this and it's kind of unsettling that she's she's so concerned about the future all of a sudden.
0: Yeah um, and, and this this moment where it's mentioned that Tattletail has uh, she's this is the first time that she's really been like lay low um, by by overusing her power, and we've seen yeah. her use her power quite a lot. So, th- th- I, I like this because Walbo is constantly weaving this tapestry where he's he's very subtly lo- letting us know what's going on with all of the other characters and all of their developments, even though that character may not be in the scene. So we're just getting this yeah. tiny note here, like okay, last time we saw Tattletail, she was okay. She she was she was uh you know she was upset with skitter now she is out of commission with a migraine from overusing her power so wow she must be really kind of hard pressed but that we just we just touch that beat and we move on that's in the back of our minds yeah because and
1: and it works so well because it ties into her trauma like skitter gets pissed at her and leaves her in this moment and then the next we see of her she's blown up her power because she's trying to use it so hard and it's like you just feel like in that moment what skitter did to her had a real effect on her that it it really did something to her
0: yeah maybe so yeah i like that interpretation so yeah citrine tells skitter that accord will be creating five new cauldron capes citrine herself is a cauldron cape and we can probably assume that all the ambassadors are she gives a little soliloquy about power how power is a journey and that strivers like her will never be satisfied with the power they have it will always take the risk of drinking a cauldron vial in order to get more.
1: Yeah. We talked about this a little bit last week. I kind of jokingly said, um, when, when, when you know that Accord is like a Bond villain type guy, why would you ever want to work for him? Because it just seems like you're setting yourself up for, oh my God, I'm going to die at any moment. Um, and, and this is obviously the answer. It's power. And, and it's, in the world of Capes, power is, is a lot more literal and if you want to make changes in this world, real changes, you need that literal power and someone is offering it to you. So you're going to take it. Um, it makes sense in a kind of certain messed up kind of way.
0: Yeah. Well, I love that these minor characters have have their own philosophies. Like, right. Like, geez, it, it certainly makes sense the way it's it certainly you certainly buy that it makes sense to Citrine, which is the important thing. So she goes on to describe what her power does. She attunes areas to particular functions, which kind of generally means she can do countless different things, actually. Not only do her capabilities run from gravity to temperature to friction manipulation, but she can seemingly directly interfere with parahuman powers. Basically, she just seems really, really strong. Uh, She also tells them about Othello, who has a mirror self who walks in a shadow world and then swaps places with the real Othello as needed.
1: Yeah, I I mean, damn. (laughs) Othello seems tough on his own, but Citrine is going to be like a serious problem in combat for Skitter. And I'm sure she's already trying to come up with a plan of how to beat her because that's what she does. Um, I I like, once again, we tie in these people's life philosophies to their powers. Um, Like Citrine talks about that power and that ability to affect change and that's kind of literally what her power does. Um, like she, she, she literally affects change. Um, like she can change gravity. She can change other people's powers. Like that's that's a literal interpretation of her lust for power.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's like an it's change in the abstract too. It's it's like yeah. oh, I can do anything really as long as it's to a specific area. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. That's kind, of, that's kind of a cool connection. Citrine also gives her Accord's 300-page treatise on how to completely fix Brockton Bay. I'll read it, I said, and I'll make sure Tattletail gives it a thorough looking over. Okay, Citrine said. Don't worry about giving him a response. He already knows. Nobody ever accepts the proposals.
1: <laughs> so, in spite of myself, I kind of felt bad for poor Accord here. I mean, yeah, he's like a psychopathic murderer guy. But how frustrating must it be for you to have all the answers and yet nobody ever bothers to ask you the fucking questions? Like, here's a thing. I'm giving you a thing and this thing helps you do everything that you want to accomplish. But don't bother calling me back. I know you won't use it.
0: Yeah. Um. So this, this calls to what I was saying a little bit ago about as being not only a metaphor for trauma, but also potentially a metaphor for mental illness in some cases, because Accord's mental state reminds me a lot of, of like a paranoid schizophrenic, uh, having these constant unbidden, violent, intrusive thoughts that, that completely derail his existence. Um, and and this is, you know, we can assume coming from his passenger largely. So like, he's very much a victim of his power and he probably wasn't a great guy, but like, I, I do feel bad for Accord, since we know kind of why he is the way he is yeah yeah so they they discuss brockton bay in the abstract particularly the presence of the portal and how many view it as an escape patch for the end of the world scenario
1: yeah and i was kind of trying to rack my brain on this because typical liberal scottism would be to say we need to let the government handle this (laughs) like we need the government needs to be the one in control of it you shouldn't be able to just own the land that this all-important thing is on um but but i think this shows how much this book has changed me because like the government in this world kind of (laughs) sucks so like i would be kind of worried about their ability to really manage things as well and i really don't know what the right answer is here
0: yeah it's obviously just to put skitter in charge no of course yeah So after Citrine leaves, Skitter thinks about how Accord's document could be a kind of malevolent genie, a plan designed to look great, but that actually backfires in subtle ways.
1: And I think that's kind of the answer for why no one ever listens to Accord, because they just can't trust him. Yeah. And like everything we know about Accord seems to indicate that that's not the case, that this plan actually probably would work if implemented exactly as he says. Yeah. But, but everyone's so mistrusting
0: that's yeah that's what's kind of sad about it is from his own head he's like no i really just want to make things better but yeah but we also know that his plans tend to be things where it's like look i can make the skyscraper better it will look beautiful and you won't even be able to tell that it has a part that folds out and cuts people in half (laughs) so (laughs) right so i mean yeah he's
1: definitely not the perfect dude yeah right
0: so skitter elaborates on her plan regarding the future of the city she wants to establish the presence of the undersiders as such an effective deterrent that most rational groups of villains will avoid the city and a strong enough group that the irrational bloodthirsty villain groups can be defeated by them
1: and this is like threading the world's fucking tiniest needle and it's almost a contradiction of terms right because she she says like we we want to be powerful enough to where we scare rational people but not too powerful to where the crazy ones are like interested in coming uh-huh. like because oh look here's a challenge and it's like how can you do that <laughs> yeah um and, and like it, it's it's it really is a noble effort that that this, this dream that taylor has of this time where the undersiders will just be allowed to rule in peace there's going to be no threats coming um the the crazy ones aren't interested in Brockton Bay. The rational ones are scared of it. The government just seemingly just gives up and lets them do it. Um, but, but yeah, that's just like we said before, that's a pipe dream. That's, that's not something that's actually achievable.
0: Yeah. I mean, it does seem like quite a stretch. Like if I were to, to, you know, go back in time to Scott, who, who had just finished like the bank, the bank heist chapter and been like, okay, so, so Scott, let's let's assume that the undersiders suddenly take control of the city <laughs> how do you think they're going to be able to hold it oh by the way skidder leaves the team and isn't actually with them now
1: <laughs> yeah no
0: yeah i mean it, like you you learn you've learned more about them since then i mean and there've been some subtle things there've been some not so subtle things like gru has a different power now but that's they haven't and they've gained a member yes they've gained one member but like they haven't yeah. they haven't leveled up so much that you would be like oh yeah i can totally see them uh literally running the whole city forever
1: yeah well the only the only person whose power is really conducive to running the city is uh taylor and to a lesser extent lisa yeah.
0: Um in, in the, a different the, role the, right yeah
1: right yeah the, the rest of them no not really
0: yeah yeah so uh so this segues into skitter asking brian um if he'd be up to leading the undersiders if something happens to her he says uh no she presses a bit raises the idea of therapy and he says he'd be willing to try therapy
1: yeah i I, man i have so many things to say regarding skitter's departure from the undersiders i think we're going to save that toward the end of her section but brian is not in the place to do that and the fact that she can't see that um the fact that she's like dreaming that he'll just take over and everything will be fine is a little bit ridiculous and a little bit selfish and this is terrible terrible timing taylor
0: yeah i agree uh she also broaches the subject of regent controlling imp and the two of them uh in some sense being together
1: and brian does not take that well
0: yeah um although it could be worse i guess um <laughs> i guess but he, he, he says something about um about like about regent being upset or, or upsetting him and taylor says i don't think i've really seen him angry or upset You don't, Gru said, because he doesn't show it. I don't think he even fully realizes it, that he feels that way. But his jokes get a little bit more barbed. He pushes back a little harder when pushed. He makes dealing with him annoying or toxic in a thousand small ways until you can't continue to press him. And I I really like Gru's take here, because like we said last week, Alec has emotions, he just doesn't really feel them fully. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, And he's not even aware of what's happening when he does feel them. Like he doesn't know what to do with the emotion when he feels it. And so, yeah, I think we, we were oversimplifying him a little bit. And I like that Gru seems to understand him.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Gru asks if uh, if Taylor can imagine a future for the two of them and Taylor can imagine it complete with a rejuvenated Brockton Bay and little little kids running around. But she can't really believe it.
1: Yeah, and the thing that I love the most about this little fantasy is is the truly tragic part of it that that Taylor's future with Brian is inextricably linked to the success and survival of Brockton Bay itself. Cause when she imagines their house with their kids, she can't not imagine Brockton Bay as it could be Brockton Bay as the best example of itself, that thriving metropolism. And it's kind of a, a microcosm for their entire relationship, Matt, because Brockton Bay will, will never be that version she has in her head. Never as much, as, as much as she tries, as much as she fights, as much as she, rips people's eyes out um <laughs> the, the world that that exists here is just it's just not able to be like that and taylor and brian don't get to have that that mansion it's just not in this not in this world it, it's fun to imagine that but it's just not going to happen
0: and and then she thinks it had been a fantasy. Two damaged, lonely people clinging to each other for warmth in a dark time. He needed a rock. I needed warmth and gentleness. There's no regrets, I asked him, about us together. No, he said, and his face was less than an inch from mine. His breath as warm as his power was cool. I felt his chest rise and fall as it pressed against me. It was right. And with that, their romance becomes past tense.
1: What a great way to do it. It was right yeah i i adore this moment i i've never liked brian and taylor together i think i've made that very clear i never thought it was real or um even if it was real i never thought it had a future but i do love the way it ended a mutual sort of agreement here um we needed each other in that moment we acknowledged that we were there for each other we we needed each other but that time is over now and we're just going to move past that
0: yeah Yeah, it it was it was a relationship that felt very organic and authentic as it as it progressed. And then and then as it's ending now, I'm really glad that we don't like bog the story down in like breakup drama, because that would be really tonally uh, unwelcome.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't fit with what we're trying to do with either of these characters either.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: But first, it's breakup sex time. Yep. Got to do that
0: yep get they get that out of the way between <laughs> between 21.4 and 21.5 <laughs> and then 21.5 <laughs> opens up with taylor performing some good and normal post-coital using her bugs to dress and clean herself process
1: hey hey, matt remember when taylor was super grossed out by her bugs even touching her Mm-hmm. like matt you know you know that a bug just cleaned jizz off of her <laughs> like you know that happened
0: Thank you for that image, Scott. You're welcome. All right. So she gets on the city bus uh, after having dressed herself, and she picks up a self-appointed escort of construction workers. She's actually mildly offended at the idea that she would need protection. She then muses that she should get a car, maybe a Volkswagen Beetle. But this is deemed impractical by the unyielding matrix of metal and wheels that is Taylor Hebert's sense of humor.
1: I like to think... That every time Taylor is about to make a joke, she just gets really quiet for like 25 minutes and then struggles out like a knock knock while gritting her teeth or something. (laughs) In this scenario, of course, Regent replies, are you constipated or something?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I want to go through the whole book and count the number of times that like the text says like Taylor, but like I I laughed in response or I laughed or just that any times, any times anyone catches her laughing. I think it's probably like one. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably right. So, yeah, more people recognize her as she enters her territory. She does some insect population control and notices how many of the former dilapidated warehouses that made up this area before have been replaced with much nicer buildings. She also notices the presence of her gang tag, a beetle with wings spread.
1: Yeah, I I like that she's annoyed that some people have copied her gang tag and and crudely drawn it on stuff outside of official orders from the gang, (laughs) um, which strikes me as really hilarious because Taylor has become such a figure of authority in Brockton Bay that she now bristles at the difference between official and unofficial graffiti.
0: Yeah, right. I do. I do enjoy that. That moment. She passes by the site where Dauntless et al. were trapped in a time distortion bubble while fighting Leviathan. Taylor herself leaves a bouquet with the other tokens at the improvised memorial.
1: Yeah, so we're going to get into this a little bit more at the end. Um, but I will say that this is one of those moments that really keys us into her mindset a little bit here. Um, she's visiting like a literal scar that's been left on the city. Um, it, it's, it's a thing that is going to be in the city forever that will never really heal, uh, just like her own scars. Uh, the, their their own events the things that have happened to her the mistakes that she's made those things will, will be there forever and it's a really wonderful moment
0: yeah she's specifically thinking about scars as as scars yeah I, 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 and, and yeah that is a direct direct comparison there so then she detects miss militia flechette and parian waiting for her near her lair miss militia just wants to talk so first, Miss Militia tells Taylor that reports from the world beyond the portal are promising. It's a world rich in natural resources with no remaining human life. All right, let's fuck that world up, too. Let's do it. <laughs> um,
1: I, I, I think I, I've kind of been alluding toward this during the conversation, but I really do think the portal is this pitch perfect representation of the fresh start. The ability to start over an untainted world where we can escape into without any baggage of our current world. The portal represents hope, um, which is kind of exactly what Taylor is looking for right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a it's an unusually bright note in this story actually. So yeah. the he- the heroes aren't happy with how Taylor was outed at the school. Miss Militia expresses regret over this, regret that Shadow Stalker was supported by the Protectorate even as she bullied Taylor, and Taylor calls her out on on this this note of regret on this fact that that they don't agree with what their bosses decide but they don't do anything about it either and here we're seeing taylor's naive absolutism in full form she can't understand why miss militia would stay with the prt despite the fact that the world without an imperfect prt is even worse off
1: yeah it it really annoys me matt like like really annoys me and I think that's why Taylor's such a wonderful character, because I can love her so much and still be so annoyed when she's acting ridiculous sometimes. Like, I, I think what she's not seeing here is that the PRT needs people like Miss Militia in charge of it. People that see the corruption within the organization, and instead of abandoning it, stick it out and stay and try to be the change that they want to see in that organization. I think to make changes to any kind of Organized authority structure you need people on the outside outside of that system But I think you need people on the inside too You need people in the system part of it trying to make changes within it as well and Taylor can't parse that she can't understand why that would be
0: Yeah, there are kinds of change other than revolution Um, Yeah, and and I mean it is a very like young person thing that she's doing here where she doesn't see that (laughs) Um, I, yeah a lot of that is a common failure mode of young young uh, political types actually yeah so Flachette talks about how she's angrier now uh, she's uncertain in the future and she feels isolated and that the only good thing in her life seems to be perian uh, and now perian has been corrupted apparently by skitter
1: yeah and i think Flachette serves as the perfect example of of a person who has always had success within the system and then has suddenly found themselves kind of on the outside of it she sees Perrion as being corrupted when the girl is actually just doing what she needs to do to survive. And and I think Flachette is suffering from her own kind of moral absolutism here. Um, but she's worse than Taylor is at compartmentalizing and justifying. So she's lost and doesn't know what to do and angry. And maybe we'll pick up on this in a few chapters.
0: Yeah, this is a great, a great, you know, we've, we've seen a, f- a few beats of, of Lily Flechette being, kind of eroding almost um, over time. We saw her in the Yamada interlude. Um, and, and here again, it's like she's she's worse, if anything, now. Yeah. So, so yeah. Miss Militia and Taylor at least come to an agreement on the need for compromise. But Miss Militia can't... On, uh, she can only really speak for the heroes. She can't speak for the PRT. Um, and, of course, this doesn't satisfy Skitter. And until they work with us, they're going to be a bucking bull in a china shop, I said. Strutting around and doing catastrophic damage to a delicate situation, Tag said, "This is a war." I could see a look flash across Miss Malicious' face, Um, and I pulled this quote out because I love the writing uh, specifically. uh, Wildbo never misses an opportunity to reinforce character. We're we aren't told about the look. It's not a. It's not. We we aren't told like a, a specific kind of look. We're not told oh, it's the kind of look you get when you briefly remember being used as a human mind sweeper as a child. It's, it's just it's just a look <laughs> and we fill in what it's supposed to be.
1: Yeah, I'm curious what your interpretation was of it.
0: Yeah, I mean that not, not not necessarily that thing that I just said, but but something along yeah. the lines of, of like, of, of like, what's happening in Miss Militia's mind is that she's thinking like, you, <laughs> I don't I don't First of all, Tag doesn't understand what a war is, and, and yeah. I do, um, and, and I don't want anything like a war in my city, and I don't want a leader who wants this to be a war, um, yeah. and, uh, you know, and, and as that crosses her face, it's just a moment of of, you know, of, of, of maybe fear, maybe, maybe anger, who knows exactly how that manifests on a person's face.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Miss Militia has seen the consequences of real war. Of what war actually really does to everything and everyone that it touches. And yeah, she doesn't want to fuck with that.
0: Yeah, right. So Skidder suggests that the protectorate capes can employ passive resistance. Avoid going after the Undersiders, gives them space to take care of the other villains. Uh, Miss Militia and Flechette agree to go along with this as long as Skidder's current violent rampage doesn't last too much longer.
1: All right. Two sides working together for the greater good, as long as Skidder doesn't keep ripping out eyeballs. Yeah. Shit, she's gonna rip out more eyeballs, isn't she? <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, it, it, the thing she does next is worse than ripping out eyeballs, so I'm not sure if she's really sticking yeah. to this deal that she agreed with with uh, Miss Militia here. But yeah, we'll see. So yeah on on this on this note, the heroes depart. The chapter ends with Skidder thinking that Perrin has in, inadvertently accelerated her her uh, Skitter's plans by arranging this meeting and she hates her a little bit for it
1: yeah and i think it's like easy to read a lot into this beat (laughs) like she goes straight to hate but i really think all we're trying to do here is reinforce the decision that that the the decision that taylor has made is one that she really really doesn't want to have to do and she's trying to put it off as much as possible and so she's just kind of irrationally angry here i don't want to read too much into it
0: yeah, right. I mean, it's it's yet again. It's making us a little bit worried about what's going to happen. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the main things. So twenty one dot six, and we're back to a combat chapter once again. This arc is unusual because it actually kind of alternates in an unusual way. So the combined forces of the undersiders and the newly filled out ranks of the ambassadors lurk in the downpour near the headquarters of the Teeth. is not present. She's recovering from overusing her power, but Gru is here. And things seem fine between him and Taylor, despite the fact that they're basically broken up now.
1: Yeah, well, they got that that good sexy time, so they're yeah. smooth past it. riding
0: right that high. So the, the new ambassadors are Jack Light, Ligeia, Lizardtail, and Codex. The uh, the fifth vial didn't work out. L- Lizardtail seems to be able to project like a healing aura around himself. Oh, That's the, pretty cool. Scott, the O'Dayleys are also here, and they're acting Hooray! as scouts. Congratulations. Woo! Um, so is uh, Tattletail's main mercenary corps, plus uh, two of Regent's thralls, probably, and some of Rachel's henchmen. Skitter scouts the teeth with her power, and uh, I just like this moment. Uh, th- the other channel was either a cartoon or a news broadcast, judging by the words I was able to hear. I um, thought that was funny.
1: Yeah, those are two very different sounding things. <laughs> I, th-
0: I think I think it is like a like a joke about the fact that that when you just get down to the words that are used, the media broadcasts tend to use very simple language, actually. Yeah,
1: a little little media dig there. Nice. Yeah,
0: I like it. So everybody waits patiently as Skitter gathers the information in preparation for attack, Uh, except Regent, of course, who runs his mouth constantly. Uh, Finally, the teeth all move into one room, and Skitter swarms them. (laughs) No, Hemorrhagia shouted, trying to cover her chili with a lid. No, no, fuck you, no! So yeah, hemorrhagia, like her immediately, she really has her priorities straight.
1: Matt chili is fucking delicious. Yeah. You, you don't you don't fuck with a person's chili. As far as I'm concerned, interrupting this chili dinner is the worst thing Taylor has ever done by far. It's it, monstrous.
0: Right. I mean, this is the thing that we were all thinking about when we were saying that she does something much yeah. worse later in the chapter, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously. It's chili so the teeth stumble outside and we immediately get a sense of how formidable butcher is she doesn't even seem to notice bug stings and capsaicin and overall from a writing point of view i'm impressed at how scary butcher seems despite having relatively little build-up as an adversary
1: yeah i agree and i think she's used the perfect amount i think too much um would like if we had her as like a a long-term villain I don't i think it would have gotten old but just you know a couple arcs we see her introduced we build up her power and then we fight her i think was the perfect amount of time for this character yeah
0: yeah i agree so the f- the fight begins with spree launching a tide of duplicates at the enders ambassadors <laughs> that was the <this> crazy power <laughs> yeah yeah um but it is funny because they they like become dumber as they as they age so it's just yeah. like a tide of really really dumb attackers Codex attacks the wave of clones with her brain damage power, which is kind of scary. And Jack lights orbs of light, twist space around them. And Legia is shown to be a water generator and a water manipulator. So then Butcher attacks all out using her exploding teleportation, super strength, danger sense, durability, and a bunch of other stuff that we haven't even seen yet. <laughs> and still, the ambassador's have to be carefully Have to be careful not to accidentally kill her because. They don't want one of their number to become Butcher 15.
1: Yeah, I think my favorite beat throughout this whole thing is every time there's a new power from Butcher, Skitter clocks it and then relates it back to which Butcher number it came from. Yeah. And then at one point in the arc, she's just like, that was from Butcher. Ah, screw it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, like you said, like the this is really delightful device for exactly the length of time that we get to see it. Yeah. Anymore probably would have been too much. So the, while this is all happening, that our 2 strangers, Othello and imp are harassing the rear line of the teeth. The, uh, the, the molars.
1: I'm, I'm really mad at myself for laughing at that. The first time I read it, Matt, like I'm really mad at myself. You're welcome. This is, it's a bad joke, Matt. No, I love it. It's great.
0: <laughs> so butcher gets closer and we see her using a power that induces pain at range. And then a different power that indu- induces berserker rage at a closer range. Um, in her in her foes which causes some of them to attack pell-mell
1: yeah and that was the point in the live tweet where i was like oh my god her passenger's taking total control of her and then i read literally the next sentence i <laughs> was like this is what happens when i live tweet i look like an idiot
0: yeah well i don't know sometimes that misdirection is intentional um, and then she also inflicts injuries that like fester and get worse with time rapidly yeah <laughs> So she then goes after the Ambassadors, gunning for Codex specifically. She pulls out her giant compound bow using Quarrel's power. Uh, And Quarrel, I believe, is the person whose body this actually is. Um, Also Quarrel, nice double meaning name.
1: Wow, Bo loves those double meanings. Yep. Yeah, I I don't have too much to say. Like, as you notice, I haven't been saying as much about... Because this action scene was fine. Um, There's nothing too special to me as far as i'm concerned but i don't have any complaints really it was it was it was good
0: yeah i mean it's just it's it's effectively done i like i like it as like a fight between two large groups of capes i like butcher she feels really scary here um she actually and then like amping up the scariness she actually kills uh codex she she shoots shoots codex and her space warping shooting power ensures that the arrow hit the target so we we lose a person it's not a person we really cared about but it's it's you know emphasizing the lethality of the situation so yeah. she then chases skitter and rachel who flee on the dogs skitter successfully trips her up with a silk net and one of the dogs picks her up and carries her towards some unknown destination and finally we begin to figure out what the plan is
1: okay you added the begin because you said finally we figure out what the plan is and i was like wait what <laughs> We had figured it out because I definitely had not figured out what's going on at this point. I was like, what is happening?
0: I don't remember if I figured it out until they tell you, but yeah, I, I did not. I may have, I may have grasped like, cause they bring her past this line of demarcation. I don't remember. I wish I could. This was years ago, obviously. But, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing where once it's explained to you, it's like, oh yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So yeah, the dog drops her past this demarcation point and the the other dogs kind of keep her in that area. And finally Butcher forms a spike on the from the ground and then impales herself on it.
1: I guess you could say she got butchered. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, is this entire episode just going to be us making really bad jokes?
0: Yeah, for some reason, this is the uh, bad puns episode.
1: (laughs) I think it's just because like, we're on our way to this incredible game-changing moment and we're like rearing for it yeah
0: i think so uh so yeah the two supervillains ride back to the rest of the group and skitter asks if she can come by rachel's later on and rachel grudgingly assents and then we get our answer as to what happened regent quips that now cherish is butcher 15
1: yeah i i think we're going to get into the implications of what they just did But I really enjoyed how that reveal was handled because we are confused. We don't know what their plan was. We don't know what's going on. And the reveal comes just fast enough that like we didn't like sometimes when I get confused while I'm reading stuff, I stop in the middle of it and then go back and reread just to make sure I didn't miss anything. And the reveal comes fast enough where I didn't do that. I didn't feel the need to do that. I was and it's like, oh, I guess that makes sense. Um, I, I guess it's a little weird that Taylor doesn't ever like think Or speak about what they're trying to do as they're trying to do it but it's so minor here that i really don't care
0: yeah um i I think we can afford to dwell on how horrible this is um Uh, yeah yeah so so this is this is of course actually the thing that i was referencing when i was talking about something worse so taylor just basically killed somebody again and she doesn't appear to feel the least bit bad about it at all actually Yeah,
1: and it's this really weird thing, because, like, and I think that's why Butcher is so interesting as a character, because the latest one is more or less innocent, right? Like, they were, we don't know how Quarrel killed Butcher, we don't know who Quarrel was, but they became this person and got taken over by all these different personalities.
0: Yeah, um, I feel like we're supposed to, I don't know if this is supported, but, like, for some reason I have a generally positive affect toward Quarrel, and, yeah. and feel like Quarrel was like kind of driven crazy and and, and whatever by by becoming butcher, um, and it's like worse. So like it's actually worse than killing because yes, you killed someone and then you made Cherish's life even worse than it already was, and also depending on whether you can consider the fourteen like sentient minds that are inside butcher to be actual yeah. people or not you've you've now trapped 14 sentient minds in Cherish's head which, which is, is like being the yeah permanent torture basically yeah um so this is like the most it's a super it's like glossed over completely by the text but it's like the worst thing that's happened in recent memory <laughs> in terms yeah. of in terms of like just a quick moment no Um, you're
1: you're not wrong and i think i think the the justification made here is that these are bad people and therefore it's okay yeah and
0: in terms of taylor's thinking yes yeah yeah
1: yeah and it's not (laughs) um (laughs) and like i like we're gonna have people make the argument that well what else would you do how do you take this person down she's so powerful she's so strong and you're right you're absolutely right but that doesn't excuse what happened here. And that doesn't like, like th- this was a horrible thing. This was awful. And it matters that it was awful. And it matters that once again, we're seeing Taylor, um, has an end goal, has a new Dinah. And now she's justifying certain behaviors. Uh, yeah. Because like, I, I agree the teeth weren't good and the-, the teeth were here to cause trouble, but the undersiders attacked them while they were eating chili. And yeah. like they were going to cause trouble. Absolutely. Absolutely. But they made the call to go on the offensive. They made the call to bring the fight to them. And then they did this terrible thing. And I think I think that's important. I think that's that matters. And we, we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it as a horrible thing.
0: Yeah. And, and it's I mean, they, they, they set out to kill her. Like it wasn't like, right. you know, you you, you notice like uh, the teeth are using mostly lethal weapons um butcher kills one of the the ambassadors, but imp is using a taser like like the norm the norm of these like Kate versus Kate battles unless you're fighting um the nine or something is to go more on the non-lethal side that that's like the the unwritten rule. but they just they just have this plan and the whole plan is to kill butcher. that's the plan they they thought it out and the the aim was to kill her and they succeeded so yeah. it's it's a it's a, not only an escalation, but it's a normalization of killing, I think, mm-hmm. which is yeah. a, a big step for for Taylor.
1: Yeah. And I think I think it's intentional. Like I think we like Wild Bill did this on purpose. He created this character that is easy to not just consider universally evil. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yes, the character's bad. Yes, the character has bad personalities inside of him or her. But on, on the other hand, they also have good people. And Jesus
0: yeah right so now there's some there's some there's probably some heroes that are now trapped in cherish's head. that's great, yeah yeah so um yeah, I think that's that's a good we've addressed that now, so uh next thing that happens is uh they go back to Rachel's lair and Skidder observes the domestic scene there. Rachel seems to have attracted a lot of damaged people to work for her
1: and Matt it's time for the Scott swoons over Rachel's ragtag family scene. <laughs> I'll just be here in the background loving every single moment of this.
0: Good. Skitter offers Rachel the territory on the other side of the portal and it's it's like a whole unsettled world for her to roam in.
1: Yeah. And what is her reaction to it? What is her reaction to
0: this? She's she's sort of sort of refu- refuses it or she's not that excited about it at least. Yeah, she frowns and yeah. she
1: grunts. Yeah. And why does she do that? Because Rachel is no longer that that lone wolf that siberian tempted her with rachel is part of a pack now she's part of taylor's pack and she doesn't want to leave her side she doesn't that that thing that she thought she wanted so much at the beginning of the story has changed now yeah i love this yeah
0: so much yeah me too so yeah we spend most of the rest of this section with rachel's development she's carefully picking dogs that will work well with people to be around uh the the little kid Uh, She clearly gets a lot of peace from taking care of the dogs. She just seems to be in a really good place.
1: Yeah. And she's taken Taylor's advice. Taylor said, you need to, you need to get these people used to dealing with other people because you can't watch all these dogs. So they have to be around people and, and, and paired off with people. And she's taken that advice to heart. And it's so touching. Yeah. And I, Rachel's so content, so happy here. Like as much, as much as she can be happy, she's happy here. And I love it so much.
0: My favorite thing about Rachel from a writing perspective is that like socially, she's always gruff and unpleasant and, you know, r- direct to the point of being rude. But yeah, but her characterization comes across in her actual actions and the consequences of them. And in terms of her actual actions, she's, she's taking care of people. She's being careful. She's thinking things through she's sort of got like a big heart but you only ever see the big heart through the the choices she's making her her big heart does not come across at all through the way she speaks to people um yeah you're absolutely right uh, and and it's great
1: because she's a puppy dog
0: yeah exactly so and uh taylor thinks maybe that was the role that rachel filled here forming a screwed up antisocial family with those who had nobody else damaged people
1: what a great callback to that line i don't even remember where that was but there was that line when Taylor looked around at her group and called them all damaged people.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when Skitter leaves, Rachel calls after her, "Thanks." And <gasps> and this this makes Skitter think that maybe Rachel's family of broken people might heal each other after all.
1: Matt, She's, she says thanks. <laughs> Matt, <laughs> oh, I love this so much.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know it's it's we've out of all the goodbyes that we see in this chapter. This is this this is my favorite. This is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But then before the chapter ends ominously tomorrow morning, I thought I face off with Tag and the rest of the PRT.
1: So this is the closest we get to the text just flat out lying to us here. (laughs) Um, She faces off against them in the loosest definition of the term um i think we're just stretching it just a little bit here Um, but it's the only case where i think we're doing that
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and it's very
1: possible that the face-off happens in the next chapter and that's what she's specifically referring to here but uh, anyway yeah
0: all right well 21.7 and we get our last goodbye taylor visits lisa the last undersider she needs to check in with Um, As with the other layers, it's tailored to Lisa's needs. The walls are covered in bulletin boards, and in the center of the room is a desk with many monitors. The whole place is built around gathering and assimilating data.
1: Yeah, I I do enjoy that we've spent several beats in this arc getting to know uh, the places that these guys stay at, because we haven't seen that before. Uh, We've seen how Taylor's layer fits into her personality and her power, but haven't seen it really very much with the other. So we get to see Regents, we get to see Rachel's, and now... Here is Lisa's and Lisa's layer fits her power and, and perfectly and there. And by extension fits her trauma, her obsessive need to know things. We haven't, we haven't really talked much Matt about how Lisa and Accord hate each other. Um, and that's what this reminded me of a little bit that, that there's those beats where Lisa specifically hates Accord and Accord doesn't really like her very much either. And I think like it's because they're so similar but also so different because like Lisa needs to know things Accord needs to solve things and that's similar but different and that's why they drive each other crazy but um I I just love I love how this shows that
0: yeah I I agree it's it's a completely true it's the narcissism of small differences thing yeah um yeah so so Lisa uh we see that she's gathering data on cauldron building out a list of cauldron capes She's also got a PRT board, separate boards on all the other threats the undersiders could potentially be facing, and we also get a bit of flavor about the various uh, groups and individuals. We've got the Adepts, self-professed magic users with a, with a time traveler, Lost Garden, a group, of, a group centered around a guy who drags large labyrinth-like depression wherever he goes,
1: yeah, and I think this kind of goes to show how many more problems the Undersiders face outside of just the immediate ones. Because uh, at this point in the story, they defeated the Teeth, the Fallen have been driven out, um, but things in Brockton Bay still feel as tenuous as ever. And as if to complete that, that imagery, Wildbow introduces the slow moving, labyrinth like depression team. Slowly, inevitably, heading towards Brockton Bay.
0: Oh yeah, isn't that such a cool image? Like you don't even—you're yeah. given almost no detail, but you're like, "Oh wow, that's now." I've got a lingering sense of dread for some reason. Yep, yep. So of course, uh, Tattletale is also trying to figure out the end of the world, but she hasn't gotten far on that front.
1: Oh yeah, there's also that thing yeah that's
0: that's, that's hanging over our heads. Minor issue. Lisa eventually comes down incapacitated with a migraine.
1: Yeah, in her jammies, and. This is a Lisa I don't think we've ever really seen before uh, matt we 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 rarely get to see Lisa not composed and incapacitated and and this vulnerable,
0: yeah, yeah, I think uh Taylor specifically thinks like she's a mere mortal and and she she doesn't know how to yeah she doesn't know how to act around her. I think that's kind of cool, yeah, so as they talk, it seems that Lisa knows Taylor's plan already. Um, She can't use her power right now, so presumably she figured it out earlier or maybe Taylor just told her earlier
1: Yeah, it 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 almost doesn't matter which that is the the point is that that she knows and she's not stopping her
0: Yeah, yeah, but she does want to give her some advice for her upcoming challenge to help her in some way But she can't she she doesn't have anything for her. So Taylor just gives her another hug and leaves
1: yeah, I, I really really like this moment and I think the brilliant stroke of it is that we make Lisa that incapacitated person. There, there, there would very easily be a beat here where Taylor's trying to like mask her true intent from Lisa, and Lisa's trying to figure it out. Um, but we don't have that here. There's also like, it also takes away Taylor coming to Lisa specifically to get information. There's really no practical reason for the two of them to be meeting up here. Like out of all the goodbyes we've seen, this this feels like just. A Goodbye, Mm -hmm. and just two friends hanging out one last time. I think Taylor and Rachel have have grown very close over the course of this But Lisa Lisa was the original one the one that extended the hand first the one that helped Taylor out the, The first person that really connected with her and so I think it's really fitting how this conversation goes down It's just two friends chatting before their relationship will be fundamentally changed
0: yeah, and Lisa's really the only one who can really give Taylor support for what she's going into because she's the only one who knows what she's going into. Yeah. So, yeah, because because directly after this scene, Taylor just heads straight for the PRT. And uh, I think the lead up to her arrival there is pretty tense. We don't know what she's planning. We we have some fairly negative suspicions, especially based on her recent behavior. So she scouts the building with her bugs. As she enters, she senses Tag. Is she going to attack him? She finds the PRT officers. Is she going to she gonna kill them? And then she just stands in the middle of the lobby and she tells her bugs to just be still. And the PRT officers notice her fairly quickly and they surround her with, with weapons drawn. And the protectorate capes arrive swiftly. Miss Militia isn't sure what to make of all this.
1: Yeah, this is a, a really wonderful example of Wild Bo perfectly understanding pacing and tone um, because the the whole thing, this arc has been building to this moment for four, five chapters now. And Wildbone knows that. And he knows we can't rush this moment. We have to draw it out. We have to, to have this slow walking into the building, this slow realization from the PRT officers. It, it's intentionally drawn out to make, take maximum advantage of that tension. And it builds and builds and builds and releases at the perfect perfect moment
0: yep that's right because we we finally realize what this most heartless thing taylor can do is and she says i surrender
1: and there it is there's there it is Mm -hmm. and Matt, in, in my notes, I've written a full page, yep. almost a page and a half, on Taylor's departure by itself. This is just my writing. This isn't the stuff I embellish as we talk and the <laughs> stuff you respond to. So I think we're going to try to go through this fast because, as usual, we are going late on time. But um, one of the things I wanted to get into here was cliffhangers. And I wanted to use this as an opportunity to talk about um the difference between a cliffhanger and what I've heard called a game changer. So a cliffhanger is a deliberate cutting off of a story beat before it has reached its narrative conclusion. So um, it's kind of a manipulation tactic that, that is used to keep readers or watchers or whatever to come back next week. Um, that's not to say that there's not a place for it narratively. It's just kind of, um, we're going to cut this off at this moment. Uh, even though we haven't finished the narrative beat we were trying. Um, but but there's a cliffhanger-esque tactic as well called a game changer. And unlike a cliffhanger, a game changer lets the story reach that conclusion of the narrative arc or beat it was it was getting to. And in that moment, it changes or recontextualizes everything about the world. So in a game changer, you're still kind of saying... I want to see what happens next, but it's not in an artificial way. We're not pausing mid swing of an ax or cutting right before the dust clears. We're not ending the chapter right before a decision is made. The cliffhanger says that the thing itself is the part that people care about. The game changer recognizes that it's the consequences of the thing that matter. And I think that's, that's why it makes it a better thing.
0: And yeah, this moment, that's cool. That's really interesting. I've never heard that term used that way, but this definitely qualifies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This moment with Taylor is a game changer. We, we complete her narrative arc here. We complete everything that's been leading to this moment. And we let Taylor's decision play out in full. We let her walk into that room and surrender. That decision is made. That action has been taken. We still want to know what happens next. We still want to tune in because everything has shifted now. Everything has changed. What's going to happen? How how are people going to react to this? Um, what is actually going to happen with the PRT? Are they, are they just going to throw her in prison and, and throw away the key? There is this overwhelming sense of possible next steps, and it it is a game changer. It is not a cliffhanger, and and that's why it's awesome.
0: Cool, yeah, I, I uh, I'm enjoying your your uh, explanation because uh, <laughs> I I, I have, have little to add other than that that I, I agree that this is more than just like. It's more than just an artificial creation of tension of like, oh, no, what's going to happen next? It's, it's like, yeah. no, this is this is the culmination of this arc. This is not just cheap um, manipulation of, of tension.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. OK, so now the second thing I want to talk about here, Matt. All right. This is going to be difficult. I'm going to need your support.
0: <laughs> All right. You got it.
1: So on the one hand, it would be easy for me to sit here and talk about how happy I am that Taylor has turned herself in. It's very easy to look at this on the surface and say Taylor has finally decided to stop this endless chain of escalation. And she kind of did. And that's good. But I think if we look a little deeper here, I think we'll find that this isn't complete. It isn't that complete turnaround you'd normally think we'd find in the story. And we kind of hinted that earlier in our discussion as well. I, I think this is Taylor doubling down again. I really do. And I think it's just her doubling down on a different thing. And in order to, to, to really parse this out, I think we need to look at what Taylor's train of thought was that led her to this moment. We have to recognize that, that through that speech with her mother's grave, um, she indicated the amount of guilt that she's feeling, uh, that, that everything that she sacrificed and everything that she's done is for nothing. And then she, on top of that, she loses her father. She loses her secret identity, kind of her identity herself. And we see in that a lot of regret And then we have cut ties. We have that note that says cut ties. Nowhere in Dinah's note does it say, turn yourself into the PRT. And I don't want to have a conversation about, well, Dinah would have known that if she wrote that, then that's what Taylor would interpret it as and blah, blah, blah. I don't care about that. That's not interesting, I don't think. But I think what we really do have here, Matt, is Taylor once again using Dinah as an excuse to do something, I think she even says it there at the end, as she turns it. She says, "I hope you're right, Dinah." Right as she surrenders, and yeah. and here's here's the fact to me: Taylor felt guilty, and Taylor wanted a fresh start. The scar on that Brockton Bay, uh, time thing that, that can't heal, that portal, that land of fresh starts and new opportunities. These things represent Taylor's state of mind in this arc. And she wants that fresh start. She wants that new opportunity. She wants that excuse to walk back from the things she's done. And Dinah's notes in this moment afford her that opportunity. And now that she has nothing else left, she's going to take it. So I don't think this moment changes Taylor's propensity to justify and rationalize. Um, we we see it in sark. We see it even though taylor has decided to surrender in that moment She's not going to stop being aggressive She's not going to stop ripping people's eyeballs out as long as she feels they deserve it Taylor wants a thing and she's going to find justification for doing that thing and I really think That's what this is. I really think that turning herself in here She wanted to do it and she found an excuse to do it
0: Yeah, I um, I have practically nothing to add. I I agree completely that that this was essentially something that that is at at the at the core of this character something that she wanted a reason to do but never would have done on her own um yeah so even though she resents the fact that she's been forced into it on some level it's also still her decision to do it to do it this way as you say
1: yeah and i think that's part of the genius of of this move to me is that she's turned herself into the good guy. She's done the thing that I've kind of been hoping she was going to do for 20 arcs, but I don't feel good about it because she, it, it, it's not, it's not her changing. It's not, she didn't do it. She didn't come to the realization that I want to change. I want to be someone different. I don't want to be Skitter anymore. She didn't come to that realization. It's there. You can see it there, but the reason she's doing it is, well, Dinah wrote this note to me, so I feel like I have to do it. Yeah. And she's she's compartmentalizing still, and she's justifying, and she's rationalizing, and she's doing all the same things that she's always done. It's just this time it so happens to happen that that thing is turning herself in, surrendering.
0: Yeah. Well, she just spent a whole arc making sure that all of her villain friends... Continued to be the most effective villains they could be so right. It's clear that like whatever her level of contrition is she's She hasn't changed her mind about that aspect of things
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so. and I think that's so cool and that's so much more complicated than just Taylor Decided to turn herself into the good guys. It's so much more than that And I think that's what makes it great and I it, that that it that it is both a change for her character and a continuation of her character flaws is brilliant writing
0: yeah yeah absolutely it's it's we're still seeing like the the blast wave from from the previous arc propagating yeah okay anything else to say about taylor we're going to get back to her in in this in the subsequent interlude actually but uh
1: yeah i want to talk i want to talk a little bit about the selfishness of this act just a little bit but i want to wait until we get to the undersiders reeling
0: yeah yeah uh, yeah reeling from it i think that'll fit in really well there so first, we take a little break from Taylor, and we, we just go look and see what the number man is doing. The number man sits in his office managing money on behalf of Cauldron. He's a philosophical fellow. Much much of this chapter is his introspective ruminations on various concepts. Society is built on shared delusions, he seems to think, and he doesn't share those delusions.
1: Yeah, and I particularly like when he's talking about the delusion of clothing, um, because in this book, we've seen clothing as kind of a marker for Taylor's growth and change. We call out what she wears a lot, and we call out the changing nature of how she dresses herself, and it's kind of shorthand for how she's changing. And I think this contrasts directly with the fact that we can look at the clothes she's wearing when she turns herself in. Uh, we, it's, again, specifically called out to us. She's not dressed as Skitter, um, but it's also not an outfit we would have seen First, arc Taylor go out in public with at the start of this chapter this stuff is significant but then we have the number man calling out this kind of inherent ridiculous of the importance of this stuff that we just called significance and I think it does a great job of defining his character of showing how he lives in this kind of state that's beyond the everyday beyond the worries of the book proper I just I just like how it immediately declares him as very very different
0: yeah right because he, he has values um it's not like he doesn't think that some things matter it's just that he thinks that most of the things people are concerned with don't
1: yeah and, and i just love like clothing and fashion are such important things in this book we wild calls them out so many times so for him to call that inherently silly it's just delicious to me
0: yeah and not only does he call it that but he looks like a bookish middle-aged man. He, he dresses, you yeah. know, in a, in a suit as far as we know, um, though his thoughts tell us that he wasn't always this bland. Um, his window in his office looks out a portal to a different earth, which is such a cool touch. And it, it's showing here that Cauldron uses these incredibly useful portals for nothing more than aesthetics here.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of world building that goes on in this chapter, but a lot of that world building also feels just like an opportunity to show Cauldron flexing its muscles a little bit, like how powerful they are, how scary they are, how much stuff they have access to that none of our other characters do.
0: Yep, I agree. So through his computers, he undermines groups that harm Cauldron's interests and subtly supports those that are in line with them. He steals funds and drops extra funds where they shouldn't be, and he freezes accounts.
1: Yeah, that, I think that reinforces what we just said. There's more muscle flexing. Look how easy this is for them to do. Yeah. Um, look how infinitely powerful they seem to be.
0: Yeah. But then his work is interrupted. His, the door chime beeps. And when the door opens, there's nobody there. Still, he talks to whoever or whatever it is. And then this invisible spirit guides him through the building.
1: Oh, great. On top of everything, Kajun also has ghosts. That's <laughs> <laughs> It's really great.
0: So he, he passes through the complex, passes by the cells populated by test subjects. The, the cells have no bars, no force fields. It's purely fear that keeps the subjects in place.
1: Who does that remind you of? Yeah. But yeah, I, 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 the, like, it's part of this confidence that exudes from the number man himself and, and Cauldron in general. They have power and they know it. And perhaps that will be their weakness in the end, this this unending confidence.
0: Mm-hmm. So as he moves through here, he notes a few of the key parahumans that Cauldron relies on, Doormaker, um, a few others.
1: Yeah, there's a, a guy, a kid with clairvoyance that's burned his eyes out and a big, fat, slug-looking dude. <laughs> um, I, I think they say specifically that the the, the clairvoyant boy, like, helps them find new worlds which is really cool and explains how they're able to locate people on different worlds and make sure that it's safe to go there and get them um no indication of what the fat dude does though but considering he has no limbs i'm guessing it's some sort of mental power as well
0: cool um so the spirit informs the number man that the trouble is on the fourth floor the floor housing the interesting capes
1: interesting
0: And here we get, I like this description of of how how all this works. So he's thinking, In typical cases, the agent seemed to momentarily reach out to search the entire world, many worlds, for reference material, to, to seize on the subject's conception of a bird or conception of movement, to build up an understanding of things that didn't exist in the agent's realm of experience. And in cases of a deviation scenario, the agent noted the physical stress and searched the subject's frame of reference for something, anything, that might reinforce what it saw as the damaged host. For many, for 93% of the unfortunates who were so afflicted, the agent drew from plant and animal life, from physical objects, materials, and designs in the subject's immediate vicinity. So this is pretty interesting because it explains like, how powers are sort of cobbled together from elements that the agents grasp onto and yeah. it also explains how this process can result in K-63 specifically.
1: Yeah, it, it's really interesting stuff. And it, again, it, I think it, it, Wildbo sets this metaphor of powers equaling trauma. And then he allows the story to kind of reinforce that in the science fiction-y nature of how this stuff actually works. Um, the agent slash passengers forms your powers based on your conception of a thing. Uh, Taylor feels like a worm. Taylor gets worms. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned science fiction because this is one of those touches where it's it's a, a a rationale for a thing that is normally just absolutely not given any kind of explanation in superhero fiction.
1: We'll see. There's a spider bite, and then uh-huh. So and therefore, it spider. Yeah, it happens. Okay,
0: I see. You're right, Scott. I'm wrong. It's it's
1: radioactive, man. Uh, That's what yeah. happens okay. when things are yeah, radioactive. I
0: know. I know. So, finally, we see the Number Man flex his power and begin to perceive the world in a more fundamental way. He detects his compatriot now, the custodian, through deviations from the norm.
1: So, like, there's, like, a creepy ghost janitor that just roams the halls of Cauldron? Guess so. It's normal. Guess so. It's a normal thing to do.
0: <laughs> I have one of those, don't you? No. <laughs> so, in a heavily secured section of the, of the facility, the Number Man finds experiment three zero one six out of his cell part of him appears to be missing parts of his arms and legs
1: are are we supposed to believe that the person in his missing parts represent that seven percent of passengers that aren't able to find anything to physically attach to in the case 53 is that these spaces are literally like inner dimensionality itself stuck on his leg or foot or something
0: i think so um I'm not. I don't remember what the what what exactly it said, but was it seven percent of all passengers or seven percent of deviations?
1: It was seven percent of deviations specifically. Yeah. So that,
0: I think that's true, though. I think it's like the um the passenger can't find anything concrete, so it it just finds something extremely abstract. So it's like whatever this guy. I mean, I could sort of make up what I think this guy's power is, but basically, I mean, it basically says it when when he attacks, and it, basically he attacks the number man, and his attack is described as something like an explosion, an exponential explosion of every possible attack from every possible self who could be in this room. Um, so it's it's like, um, it's a it's highly abstract, you know, almost like quantum physics type concept that, that doesn't really connect to anything no- that normal people would understand. Right, yeah. Um, but the power is like, well, that doesn't matter. <laughs> So the number man dances through this attack and the following attacks Seeming to be in exactly the right place at exactly the right times using exactly the right moves To bring himself closer to the man without being harmed And he sees all of this in terms of mathematics probabilities and causality
1: Yeah, and as, as as much as he doesn't he pretends like he doesn't care about like clothing And stuff like that so much of his skill seems to be around perception because um, you don't see him as the per- type of person who will be able to do this kind of stuff but then he does it
0: yeah yeah that's a great point i i forgot to i forgot to bring that out because having read the story i i see the number man as like a, a physical powerhouse which he demonstrates himself to be here but but you know you don't know anything about him now uh, other than like yeah. oh he's a guy who uses computers he's he's the nerd cape it's like yeah. nope that's that's something he's capable of but that is not what his power is yeah,
1: it was quite surprising when he started doing flippies and, and twirlies and things. Yeah. I was not expecting that. Yeah, definitely.
0: But uh, he's not as invulnerable as he, as he seems. A lot of his movements are, as you say, calculated to seem effortless, to drive the man to surrender out of fear. And so the man gives up, um, and, the, and they talk, and the number man emphasizes that he might have actually won against the number man, but he could never have escaped. It's
1: because of the ghost janitor. It's the ghost janitor, man
0: i'm pretty scared of this ghost janitor
1: me too i don't know what it is yeah but i'm gonna call it a ghost janitor until someone tells me what it is It's fair i mean i guess we were told custodian i just refuse to accept that because ghost janitor makes me laugh
0: yeah i mean it's basically the same thing i yeah yeah so the number man later meets with the doctor and they lament the loss of siberian and shatterbird two powerful capes that they wanted to understand better (laughs)
1: <laughs> don't don't you worry guys i'm sure you'll have plenty of them to study <laughs> really soon
0: they also lament that skitter has turned herself in and now brockton bay may be lost and uh and the neverman thinks they would lost coil they lost hero and the triumvirate had dissolved they were in the process of losing the protectorate everything they put together falling apart over time
1: good i i don't i don't know how to feel about this I really don't. I don't know if I don't know if it was supposed to root for these people or not yet. It doesn't seem like it.
0: I don't know. I don't know. We do know, though, that they're desperate. The doctor wants to actually stop tempering the formulas with the balance element, which will lead to more deviations, uh, but perhaps useful ones. So in order to make this work, though, the number man will have to make himself uh, available for field work again.
1: Yeah, um, so we have more monstrous capes, more tortured souls. Cauldron is escalating and doubling down. And once again, we are drawing a parallel between this organization and our main character. And I'm sure that'll work out well for everyone.
0: Yay! So this prompts him to go visit his old costume. He remembers what may be the last time he wore it, killing somebody named King with a compatriot named Jacob. The number man was Harbinger, we find, and Jacob renames himself to Jack jack slash a simple dumb name chosen self-consciously to relish making people fear such a stupid thing
1: king was the leader of the nine right i think that's been told to us the the starter of the nine
0: yeah um that's correct and
1: i I mean i know that so i feel like it was told to me (laughs)
0: yeah so um we i'm not gonna ask that question it was gonna be a question about have you seen this thing yet and then, if the answer <laughs> was no, then obviously that would be a bad idea. But, but you've well, heard no. the name Harbinger too, though, right? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, Jack wants to keep going to bring about some great and terrible thing, but Harbinger doesn't want to go along. But he will play Jack's game. He will make a new name for himself, a silly, simple one.
1: Yeah. Okay. The number man is silly and simple, sure. But I personally would have gone for like Math Maniac or Proof Pi. Or cosine, or tangent. <laughs> okay,
0: I'm gonna stop. The, those now. are all too smart. Scott. Sorry. Yeah. So the number man still considers Jack a friend, though the two of them are opposites in his mind. Maybe maybe he even considers him family. He thinks about how Jack's power may actually be more than just the telekinetic projection of blades. Jack has made made it too far. He's defeated too many strong capes. He's survived too long around the likes of Siberian and Crawler. Does he have a second set of eyes watching out for him, giving him a sense of danger? Was Jack perhaps in particular synced with his agent in mindset? And if he was, did that suggest something about their motives?
1: Yeah, I I really like how this ends. Um, uh, There's a couple things. Um, First, we know how insanely powerful the number man is now. And that we know he was on the nine at one point, so... Uh, while news that Cauldron would use the Nine isn't new, uh, a central figure in it be- being a r- part of that original group is. And this, of course, means that there's going to be a bunch of Number Man clones running around, which is wonderful. Uh-huh. Um, but I think, I think when I finished this chapter, I really felt like I had a handle on the fact that Cauldron is anti-source of cave powers. They're in a war against these so-called agents uh, who who they are assuming have bad motives towards this whole thing and i think this could go in a lot of interesting places because like i've said so many times before we're we're continually drawing a a a parallel between taylor and this organization and i think it just would be thematically and narratively interesting if cauldron is an organization that just like taylor is doing the wrong things but for the right reasons and it seems like we're steering more and more towards that each little new bit of information we learn about them. So I enjoy these chapters. They're they're very high world building. They get into a little of the sci-fi stuff that you enjoy more than I do, but I still like them.
0: Cool. All right. So now we're getting back with the undersiders in 21.y with Perian. So Saba notes that the people in her territory don't fear and respect her the way they do Skitter. She reflects on her background. A boy in her engineering classes wouldn't take no for an answer and spread rumors about her when she rejected him. On top of this constant social stress and isolation, her father has a heart attack and she triggers.
1: <sighs> nice guys, Matt. Nice guys are the worst. I know. If you ask a girl out and she says no, you say okay and then you stop it. Yep. And I think we, we've, like, Wild Bo's explored this nice guy thing, um in multiple characters like we had a little bit of it in krauss we had a little bit of it in greg and here's another one and i love this because suddenly we understand why parian was so reticent with Flachette why she's reticent with everyone she she's terrified of trusting people she's terrified of of feeling at all subservient to anyone ever
0: yeah it's i mean you could almost say it's her trauma
1: almost yeah. as if
0: so she gets the message from Flachette that skitter has turned herself in And then she tells Saddletail, who knows already, of course, and tells her to come to a meeting as soon as possible.
1: Ooh, she gets the invite.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting how difficult her power is to use. Uh, It's telekinesis, but only for small, lightweight objects. Her power counts cloth as such a material. Anything porous works, and a closed shell of a porous material allows her to build up a lot of telekinetic oomph inside it. Every movement of her cloth puppets is effortful and intentional. It's not at all like Skitter's type of control.
1: Yeah, and we get some fun little hints that she feels that this isn't her power's intended use, uh, that she's not using it the way it's meant to be, um, which makes me wonder what that intended use is and, and what that would be and, and maybe how much more powerful she would be if she knew. Yeah, do you have any guesses? Um, no. I'd have to really study. I'd have to go back and read over exactly what it's doing because so t- low, like... It can't be as any as boring as just like manipulating air or anything because it's like small lightweight objects than air molecules. They're small and lightweight, but air is a boring power. So I don't know. I'd have to.
0: Yeah, that's fair think enough. about it. Yeah. So she returns to the Forsberg Gallery for the meeting and the Undersiders are reeling mostly. Uh, Tattletail knew, but Gru is in a rage. Tattletail tells him that Skitter believed that uh, this would make things better.
1: Yeah. And I guess this is where we should talk about how selfish I feel like Taylor's move was. Um, Like, I understand why Taylor did it. We talked about that a long time. But she like by not including anyone in her team, she really like left them in a lurch. Like the Undersiders have already been in a very precarious situation. Um, They barely have control of the city. They have all these enemies against them. They have more coming. We know that. And now they've lost their not only their leader, but arguably their strongest member. Uh, without being consulted at all yeah and i think sorry go ahead no you go ahead i just think that this this entire chapter reinforces that over and over again and and we position parian as an outsider observing all this stuff so we get to see from an outsider's perspective how like like this organization looks how this team works without skitter there and it's not it's not good
0: yeah, there's definitely things that we perceive about the undersiders through Parian's eyes that we can't perceive through any of their eyes because they're too in it. Yeah. So yeah, Rachel then arrives, and when the situation is explained to her, she just trusts Skitter, and she she says she makes plans. Bitch said she's smart like that. I'm not. I don't try to understand what she's doing.
1: <laughs> it's so this friendship can last through anything. It's so adorable no uh i i I like this i am worried that rachel has gotten to a point where she trusts her so implicitly that she's gonna get burned in the future and that terrifies me um i hope it doesn't happen i really don't
0: yeah Um, i like this just encapsulation of how everyone's doing uh tattletale nearly incapacitated grew with his darkness a virtual storm around him regent and imp standing back together and bitch, stock still, radiating something more than tension, restrained aggression even.
1: Yeah, and, and this uh, ties into what we were talking about before, that uh, we're seeing through Perry and eyes the people that now run Brockton Bay. Here they are. These these are them. And they have lost Taylor. And they are responsible for everything now. And it's like, holy shit. <laughs> um, Tattletail's hurt, grew said he couldn't accept the mantle of leader unless maybe he had therapy which that definitely hasn't happened yep. um region and imp are kind of on their own doing their own thing and and bitch is always like at the point of aggression she's and there was only one person she really listened to and that person's gone yeah so here's here's your warlords of brockton bay everyone
0: <laughs> yeah I like I just like the language, Regent and Imp standing back together, so it's just yeah, very apart, s- away, yeah, s- succinctly emphasizing their yeah. I can't say it any better than it's already said. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So everyone realizes that her that uh, that Taylor's visits to them over the past few days were goodbyes, and that and that Skitter was making sure that they could all get on without her. Into the into this mix here, Accord arrives with his ambassadors, all of them. And he's not happy. Tattletail takes a very aggressive tack with him, clarifying that the ambassadors are subordinate to the undersiders and that they aren't owed any explanations. And she's intentionally rude and antagonistic. And I'm so glad that we got a glimpse inside his head before because it lets us imagine how every second of this encounter is a herculean effort of not snapping and ordering his people to attack
1: (laughs) right yeah and that's you're, you're absolutely right and that's where the interludes come in and are so brilliant because we get to see this thing and we know it even though we don't have to be told it
0: yeah so despite this though she does make an offer that she'll genuinely consider accords proposals for brockton bay though she doesn't offer anything concrete and he accepts this.
1: Yeah, and it feels like everyone kind of took a note from Taylor here a little bit, that they they go on the offensive immediately, they're aggressive, they attack, at least verbally. And uh, it, it works for them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Although, uh, Accord does say, I appreciate your willingness to meet in light of your condition. That said, it would be best if we did not interact further. I'd rather not terminate our alliance by being forced to murder you. It wouldn't be polite to say how many times I came close just tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, I, I like, so speaking of like liking Accord despite myself, like the moment where she tells him that she has a migraine from overusing her powers and, and he kind of like pauses and like you almost see him kind of humanizing her for a moment and, and connecting with her in his own special Accord way um yeah yeah and and then he's like i'm going to be considerate and suggest that we not meet so i don't have to kill you yeah and that's Thanks. me being nice yeah
1: such a nice guy yeah
0: so yeah when, when accord leaves we were reminded again that Telltale wasn't using her power here so she just she she wasn't like she, it wasn't like i know the aggression will work with him because my power it was just like all right i'm gonna gonna do this because yeah okay. and i
1: think that's probably where the aggression comes from right that she didn't have her power so she felt like she had to try to take control of the situation because if she was ever put on the defensive she loses.
0: Yeah And like you pointed out a bit ago, this is a bit of a, re- a reflection of how skitter has been behaving Yeah So in the end they decide that whatever taylor's reasons they respect her and they trust her even if they're not happy about it
1: Yeah, but the, the thing I love is that it's parian who directs them this way Because uh, she's silent for most of the chapter um, she doesn't really say very much uh, in this part, She's, she serves as that outside observer, someone taking it all in, but not really a part of it. But here she recognizes something in Skidder, something that she has in herself, and she speaks up. And she says, It's a way to protect all of us. She gives director Tag exactly what he wants, gets him back, gets him to back down, and this is how. She uses herself as a bargaining chip. And it's such a great moment for her, um, kind of finding a place within this group
0: yeah yeah i agree it's you definitely notice that she's being silent she feels out of place and everyone like looks at her when she talks and she feels nervous but she yeah she has a really valuable contribution yeah
1: yeah i really like this character a lot
0: yeah and then of course it ends with uh it was bitch you broke the spell if the prt fucks her we destroy them grew finished bitch nodded and then Parian thinks the most sensible member in the group in agreement with the most violent.
1: <laughs> she serves as a perfect,
0: a, a ob- perfect ob- like observer. Yeah,
1: yeah, it, it's really great. Yeah, yeah, and that's something we don't ever get to see because we're usually in Taylor's head, so we never get to see them in this kind of light.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. So the undersiders wait for some kind of signal from Skitter, and uh, and Parian heads back to her atelier. Atelier. And finds Lily waiting for her. <laughs> You're going to get called out on that. Yep. Someone's going to tell
1: us how to pronounce Definitely. it Definitely,
0: This is such a useful way of finding out how to pronounce things. Yeah. But Lily's here. Yeah, Lily's here. Let's do it. Yeah. So Flachette is so lonely and confused. And ultimately she gets around to admitting that she only feels comfortable when she's with Saba. And so, like, let's just kind of zoom out here, because the details of the back and forth are too complicated to summarize in fewer words than the actual text itself uses. Yeah. Uh, But basically, Lily and Saba are admitting that they like each other without ever actually directly saying it. They're using implication and and unspoken hints. And Saba expresses her discontent with how Lily implicitly tried to claim her, like criticizing her change in costume. And Lily kind of tries to justify slash apologize this
1: yeah it's a really wonderfully written exchange and i think when we were talking about um, how there's there's a lot of textual conversations going on here but a lot of subtext this is one of the things we were thinking of because you're absolutely right they're talking about one thing but they're also talking about another thing under it all and and i just love i I love everything that's going in here that, that we have saba's mistrust of people coupled with lily's insecurity about the world and her role in it and and all of this stuff is mangled up in their their emotions their feelings for each other and there's just something so real here in this conversation i i really like all this yeah
0: absolutely i think my favorite bit of uh of uh flirting basically is is when flechette says uh but my motives my motives weren't and then uh saba says carnal which first (laughs) of all suggests that saba knows that they might be carnal and then lily responds sketchy meaning (laughs) meaning they could very well be carnal
1: (laughs) yeah she doesn't she does not explicitly deny
0: right so so they've they've now communicated that information between them without any either of them actually saying i have the hots for you which is completely how people actually flirt oh absolutely
1: it's all double speak and subtext
0: yeah totally so So Lily asks if she can be Saba's lieutenant. She'll leave the wards and she'll stay with Saba for as long as she can.
1: So not only does this mean Scott was right, boom, Mm -hmm. Um, but this is so adorable because, like, Lily recognizes Saba's issues, her trauma. She listens and she understands that in this relationship, she's going to have to, at least for now, take that subservient role um because that's what saba needs she she's terrified of being that role to someone else so lily takes that upon herself and i i like it so much
0: yeah yeah so having accepted lily as lieutenant saba leaves us on tenterhooks just long enough and then kisses lily accepting the other half of what was implicitly offered yes <laughs> this is, yeah
1: th- you know there's there's not a lot of romance In this novel and it it, the romance we do have the the most central one has been brian and taylor's and this kind of tragic um so close but never really there story so it's it's nice when we get like actual like these two people seem really good for each other type of of romances and i appreciate it
0: yeah um i also you know until this very moment didn't really notice that in this arc we are we seem to be tying off the the one main romantic through line but we also are are opening a, a opening a new potential one in the same yeah in the same arc so absolutely that's that's nice nice little bit of uh i don't know symmetry but yeah the, the, i just i just love that that scene it's just so it's so tense it's so it's so real like you said
1: Yeah, it's 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 how like doing realistic dialogue is so hard because writing the way that people talk is very difficult because people don't talk like writing. (laughs) They they talk like thinking you you often.
0: Yeah, that's that's like my least favorite thing is when people... (laughs) transcribe exactly what we say on the podcast r- oh, verbatim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. like oh my god <laughs> i talk i talk so badly i know
1: because it's like you start a sentence and you often don't know how that sentence is going to end until you get there and that's so different from writing yeah. so writing realistic convincing dialogue is is a challenge and there there are very few authors that can really nail it and i think it 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 really is nailed here yeah
0: totally all right, well, that wraps up the beat by beat analysis for arc 21 imago. Um, there were a bunch of names this um, this week. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't write down all of them or or hardly any of them actually. Um, I wrote down butcher <laughs> You to that one. I understand butcher, yeah. And then I thought about butcher for a long time, and I couldn't actually think of like a double meaning for butcher. Like, obviously, butcher is someone who like hacks meat apart, but the, there could be the element of like butcher herself is actually like a collection of pieces of, yeah. of other butchered, things. Yeah, but yeah, but she's she's butchered. Yeah, that's 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 definitely there. Um, I think I think most of the um most of the um uh, ambassador capes are moderately straightforward actually like like you can kind of see what they're going for there so
1: yeah lizard tail is yeah
0: regeneration yeah exactly. yeah yeah and, and i think like accord comes up with all those names so they all have kind of a, a certain aesthetic to them yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah that, that's i think that's good for names this week um, what
1: about the number man matt what could that mean yeah
0: i don't know what that has to do with anything <laughs> yeah it means he's a man that likes numbers i do wonder what Harbinger like meant exactly in context of what his powers were
1: right because i mean i guess it's his powers are kind of predictive in nature so yeah okay
0: that's interesting i guess yeah he's yeah i don't know i could could think about that for sure all right well yeah do you have any uh updates on your old speculations
1: yeah we do we have one that was from a while ago um i kind of had written this one off because it didn't seem to be happening but i said Arcs and arcs ago, that I thought Flachette will eventually leave the world wards to be with her boo parry. And that was more just a hopeful thinking because I liked them together so much and I hoped that it happened and it did. Yay. So, hooray. I'm very happy about that.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. As far as new ones, um, I only have one for this week and it's a pretty big one. Uh, I Taylor's not going to prison. I don't think Taylor's going to the birdcage, I don't think that's happening. Um, I think Miss militia will find a way to get her on the wards under that probationary status. I think this for a few reasons um, she looks at Miss militia specifically when she surrenders it's like she looks her in the eyes um, and I think militia is gonna have her back and then also there's just too much narrative deliciousness between uh, Taylor as wards encountering undersiders in city that I I can't wait for that to happen and, and see how people react to it. I don't think Gru's going to react to that too well, methinks, but um, we'll see.
0: Cool. All right. Well, that will wrap up our coverage of Arc 21 Imago. I hope everyone enjoyed our discussion and hearing Scott's reactions. As always, we appreciate your feedback and we're always trying to improve. So let us know if you have any advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's episode.
1: Yes, you can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. You can also follow me personally on Twitter at scottdl85 and Matt's is at mordenamail. If Dad, I said it, yeah, right?
0: Yeah, it. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Worm, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world that you can listen to podcasts.
1: And as always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing, essays, film, and TV criticism, and more at dailyplanetfilms.com. This week, I am gone at Fantastic Fest, so hopefully by the time you're listening to this, you've seen my, at very minimum, my daily recaps of that excellent film festival on the main page. Um, I don't know what will have been released on the Daily Planet podcast, because I'm leaving that up to you and Michael, or yeah, you and Michael, Matt, so... So maybe something, maybe nothing. I don't know. Oh, uh, we've
0: got something special planned for
1: everybody. I think you're lying.
0: You'll all see.
1: I don't know if I like this. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, also, we have a new episode of So-Called Writers tomorrow, right?
0: That's right. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to have a guest this week.
1: Well, no, because this, this
0: is that was last week. We're going to about... have a guest last week, the <laughs> one you listened to. Last week, that was the one that had to guess. That's right.
1: How's the How's the one this week gonna it's go? Gonna it's be, gonna be
0: great. It's gonna be great. I don't know I, what the words are yet. It's gonna be great though.
1: If I had to guess, I would say it's the finest thing you two have ever written in 30 minutes or less. Probably. <laughs> All right.
0: All right. Um, yeah. So that's that's right, Scott. If you uh, if you like any of these shows that we just mentioned and you want to support them, we have a Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash/DailyPlanetFilms. If you like what we do here and you want to help make sure we keep doing more, consider donating a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Special thanks this week to New Planeteer at the $1 level, Roman, and New Kryptonian at the $20 level, Philip.
1: Matt, so now we have five people at the $20 level or above, so I guess we need to actually schedule that Q&A.
0: Yep, that seems necessary.
1: So that's going to happen sometime at the end of the month once I'm back from Fantastic Fest, so... Be the look on the lookout on our Twitter for notification of that. We'll also send that out in a, a Patreon
0: message, so you should get an email. All right. Looking forward to that. Also, speaking of Patreon, make sure you stop by Wildblows page and toss some money there because he's the guy that makes this whole thing possible.
1: But if you can't spare any extra cash at this moment, that is totally fine. You could, like, lead a board meeting at work talking about the importance of ruling through fear and put us in your PowerPoint presentation. That'd be a thing that you could do. hmm Or, or you could just head on over to iTunes and rate and review us this week's spotlight review because we did get a new one. Thank you very much, Aaron, who gives us five stars and says, like falling in love all over again. This podcast led me to reread Worm with more focus than ever before. Also to listen to the creator's other work, superb chemistry, humor, pathos, literary analysis. This is my second priority podcast out of more than 20 behind only hardcore history Give it a shot, whether you're a first-timer or rereader. Wow, Matt, did you hear that? Did you hear that? You and I have something that even John and Danny don't have. Boat sex? What? No, no, Matt, chemistry. Oh. Chemistry, Matt.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I, I do especially think that we have good pathos.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Aaron. Uh, to be second behind Hardcore History, which is one of my favorite podcasts as well, is truly an honor. That's... Wow.
0: Yeah. I don't think my brain knows how to process that, but thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much. Yeah. All right. That's it for us this week. Next week, we're covering ARC-22 Cell. We will be recording this episode at the usual time relative to when you're hearing it, so we should be able to address some of your questions and comments. But for now, Scott, what is ARC-22 going to be about?
1: Well, Matt, the obvious answer here seems to be that Taylor's going to find herself in a literal cell immediately following her surrender. But I do think that's a little too simplistic for Old Wild, Beau. Um You've already seen my prediction earlier, so I- I'm here to postulate that we're, we're going to be seeing Taylor in her new role And and the way in which those new roles and new rules and new regulation bind and trap her. Additionally, I think her hidden deal with Miss Melissa will continue even after surrender and maybe a secret cell forms within the ranks of the PRT. Or maybe we're just going to see the birdcage breakout that, that we've been waiting for.
0: I don't know. I don't know. We will find out next week on another exciting episode of We've Got Worm.